welcome everybody to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from our coveted number five to our absolutely you better not say anything bad about it number one. This is Two White Guys Talking Film, part two of our best of the decade 2010 to 2019 top ten list. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. When you guys are hearing this, one day after Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Happy Black Friday shopping to everyone. Hope you're all being safe out there and not stomping on each other's necks to get that latest. I don't know. What are, what are people shopping for, Tyler? Is there a hot item this month? For me, Vinegar Syndrome is releasing The Candy Snatchers, which is a movie I think I referenced like way back in like episode like four or five. I remember this. That's, That's your episode. hot Black Friday ticket item? It was, it, dude, it's never been released on Blu-ray. So, like, I'm amazed, A, that they, they're releasing it, B, that it's, like, only, like, 20-something bucks. So, like, yeah, that's my that's my big ticket item. I love that movie. I will fully admit, Brielle's mother sent us all a text. She sent her children, me, I think, everyone being like, hey, what does everyone want for Hanukkah slash Christmas? And I, without hesitation, just sent her just a screen capture of a Mortal Kombat stand-up arcade machine that is being sold at Walmart for, like, $400. And I, and I was like... There you go. And she didn't send anything back. She just called Braille off the text thread and said, is he serious? And she goes, no, he's he's not serious. <laughs> and like and like asked me later, she's like, why did you send that? I'm like, she asked what we wanted. And she goes and she goes, I told her you weren't serious. I go, oh, I'm very serious about that Mortal Kombat machine. There's a place in the garage for it. And I said, but I don't expect her to buy it for me. Also, I'm a grown ass man. Four hundred dollars. I can buy a Mortal Kombat machine if I need to. Which Mortal Kombat? Is it Mortal Kombat 1? I think it's Mortal Kombat 1 or 3, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, if if it's not the trilogy, if it's not 1, 2, and 3, then why is it $400? Yeah, I mean, mean, because it's a stand-up arcade machine. You're not wrong. Yeah. But we are not here to talk about stand-up arcade machines. We're definitely not here to talk about... The candy snatchers. Although one day I feel like we're gonna we're gonna do that on the on it because it seems like you're really passionate about. I that. mean, I have talked about it. That movie, I think it becoming more readily available. I think it allowed us to talk about it because that movie was like impossible to find. I could only find it because my videos, the video store, my the city I'm living in, Portland, Oregon, had a copy. So I was finally able to track it down and watch it. But like, I've been looking for that movie for like three years. <laughs> If only these gloved hands were there with you live, I'd strangle you for having a video store. <laughs> Lucky bastard. I'll bet it's in walking distance, too, isn't it? Not quite. But it's Good. definitely, it it's, definitely it's definitely in busing distance. It's like Good. a 15-minute bus ride. It's like it's not far. That's not very far. Yeah. No, it's it's really not. No. It must be must be so nice. Luckily, you have to suffer for your art. And you know what? That takes us perfectly into your number five about the talking about suffering for one's art and suffering just in general. So, Tyler, do you want to go into your number five as we pick this list back up? Do you want to give them your 10 to six before we go into it too far? Oh, yeah, I guess we could go. We could. Do you want to both give us our 10 to six? Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay, let me pull them up. So my 10 to 6 are Night of Cups from 2015, Before Midnight from 2013, Shame from 2011, Interstellar from 2014, and Paddington 2 from 2017. What a a fun little movie about a cute little bear. cute little movie that is also one of the best comedy movies of the decade. So my number 10 is the 2017 Shape of Water. My number 9 is the 2012 film Dread. Number eight, the 2011 film that Tyler is surprised is on my list, The Tree of Life. Number seven is the 2013 movie Inside Lewin Davis. And number six is the 2018 film Widows. So Tyler, what is your number five and fifth best movie of the decade? 
I prefer people to call it shenanigans and yell that it was the 2011 movie, and I have two 2011 movies on my list. I know it's a 2011 movie, but it wasn't released in America until 2012, so I I will I will admit to cheating a little bit. You could not have seen it until 2012. I could not have so seen it. So you're not wrong. Yeah, I could not have seen it until 2012 unless I was like a film critic or going to uh, film festivals. But the movie is follows Anders around the city of Oslo. On the day August thirty first is of course Oslo, August thirty first. Hej Islinda, Andersny. Um, ja, det er vel sent å si noe, men... Um, jeg vet at du sikkert ikke vil snakke med meg, så jeg har fått noe nytt nummer. Sånn, I tilfelle det er... Eller... Du kan jo kanskje ringe meg på... Når du hører meg selv. Det er 98 54 53 76. 98 54 53 76. Uh, ja, det er litt viktig, altså. Hvis du... Jeg skulle gjerne bare snakke med deg. Ok, ha det. You're depressing. <laughs> <laughs> there. there. There's my review on Oslo, August 31st. I'll, I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I watched all of the movies I hadn't seen for his list in the order because I wanted to go downwards to kind of feel what he was feeling with it. And I got to tell you, I finished Paddington 2 and I was like, oh, I had a nice little cry. That was fun. How how much worse could it be? And then it got worse. <laughs> Tyler, who is in this movie? And also, who made this movie? So it was made by a film director. It's a second film named uh, Joachim Trier, or Trier. He's a Dutch filmmaker. I horribly butchered his name and I feel very bad. I'm going to horribly butcher a bunch of names coming up. And it stars... A uh, man who starred in his first film, Reprise, Anders Denison Lie, or Danielson. Yeah, Danielson. I said it right. Mm-hmm. Stupid. As a man named Anders, who is a recovering drug addict, a former, like, writer, but, like, not really. He felt like he was, like, partying with a guy who, like, gave him a job as he... Goes to Oslo, meets with some old friends, has a job interview, and is seemingly trying to get back on the straight and narrow. And it's a very small movie. That is pretty much the entirety of the plot. Is just a man walking around Oslo and kind of being reminded of these like ghosts that are still following him. He's trying to call his girlfriend, and she like won't ever pick up. That's another running thread. Yeah. It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've pretty much given us the who and the uh, what's it about. And have you seen anything else from this filmmaker? I have been meaning to watch Reprise because it was a movie I saw on, I swear to God, I saw it on At The Movies when it was like coming out. And they, they were like, two thumbs up. And I was like, I, I was like, guys, we need to see this movie. And they're like, uh, it's foreign language. And my parents were like, eh, it's foreign language. I'm not going to see that. And so like, I kept like trying to rent it. And then they kept like, nah. <laughs> 
like we don't want to watch this like you would think this, you like, would inspire your son to go and this, like, like try to watch something foreign and like something out of his comfort zone slash demographic you would think but no um they're like <laughs> we don't we don't want to watch this like boring like two-hour art film but uh, that whole line, line, that line, line. line you can't put a price on your family safety you would think not yet here we are <laughs> <laughs> You can't put a price on on Tyler's culture. You would think so, but we're watching uh, we're watching The Matrix again. <laughs> and uh, he has two other movies, uh, Louder Than Bombs, which has a big kind of like following on on Twitter. Uh, a lot of people are really into that movie. And he had a horror movie come out that I meant to go see that came out at a time when I was uh, it was a it was a bad time. So I don't really like to be reminded of it, and I haven't watched it because of that reason. Called Thelma. Um, which you might have heard of. It was kind mm-hmm. of, it was, it oh. bubbled up, I think, in 2018. Yeah, it was selected for entry, but wasn't nominated for the Academy Awards. Interesting. But he's a very respected now filmmaker, and I think this one and Reprise a little bit were kind of like what like blew him up onto the scene. I think this movie, which I, by the way, recently watched, it, it's probably the one with the least amount of time on my list because I watched it only like, maybe three months ago not even that maybe like two months ago and uh i was like oh yeah no that movie is like absolutely masterful and it's like okay now i want to i want to say something and i so you've only you've only how long and how long ago sorry one more time how long ago did you say you saw this movie i think it popped up on the criterion channel like um like two months ago or a month ago Oh wow so this is the most recent movie on this is list. very recent yeah this was this is a movie I, I, I wanted to see it was by a director who i wanted to get into and so i was like you know what it's short i should watch it for the best of the decade because it was released in the decades time um it would fit nicely into a year that i kind of already had a movie that we've already talked about on here and i kind of wanted to like put something else there to talk about and it just it all the things all the stars aligned and it came out to just be like this perfect movie that i really really love now, you said it's a masterful work. I, Tyler, I am very much in the process of, like, trusting you on most things because you have a really good handle on film, I think, in the same way that I do. And that's not bragging. It's just you and I have watched enough stuff and we've thought about films from a critical standpoint to where we've developed a way where we can talk about it. I have to ask you, what do you find so masterful about this? Because I got to be honest, dude, I sat there. I was there for an hour and a half. I mean, I'll say this. Mercifully, it's not over an hour and a half. This is very fast. I appreciate the performances. I appreciate a couple of the scenes. But this did not click with me, obviously, in the same way it did for you. So I would like to know, what is it that you found so masterful about this? So I think the story, it's based off a book from the 30s called Will the Wasp. Um, and that story has been kind of, it already was made into a movie called The Fire Inside, which is a very famous like like French New Wave film. I think there's something about how the film starts with him attempting suicide. And so you get this immediate, like, this is like a rock bottom moment. And so you're constantly expecting him to, like, be redeemed or, like, to work his way out of this, like, pit of despair. But the more you learn about him, the more you learn that maybe he isn't such a good person. The more you learn about his, like, spaces and like the people that he's put around him the more you realize like oh i can kind of understand why this person is slowly being dissolved by oblivion you know what i mean and i think there's a way that it relates to the city of oslo 
as this like ethereal place and how I just the the way it starts with like no one in it and it's just a bunch of like footage from like all sorts of found media like uh old movies and like home videos and like news reports and stuff like that and it's kind of thrown together it makes the city as much of a person as he is and so you get these like confluence of ideas that kind of like tangle and make this like knot in your stomach um because you know how it's going to end by the end of it you're kind of like i think i get where this is going i don't think he's going to get out of this and when he does have that like chance to break the cycle and break out of it he chooses not to and then you get those final shots of like Oslo alone, like Oslo missing someone. And I thought that was really powerful. Hmm. That's okay. I mean, I, I can totally see what you're talking about with that. And I will give you this. This movie is exceptionally well made. The cinematography alone in this movie is worth sitting through. And also just the way he kind of strings together, like you said, real news footage, things like that. And his way of getting to it. The thing is like, and my biggest, I think it's not my biggest problem with it. I think it's because I understand movies to a certain extent and I can kind of see things. The minute I saw this guy, I'm like, okay, so this guy's a recovering heroin addict. This dude's doing heroin at one point. And the longer it went along, and maybe this is why it's so effective, I'm like, okay, the longer it takes for him to do heroin, the worse it's going to be. And it's literally in the last few moments of this film that he does heroin. And you're just so crushed by this guy. And I think that might be my biggest. Maybe I like this better than I'm actually thinking about it. There is some really good stuff. The moment where he tries to kill himself at the beginning, you're like, that's the dude on the poster. Like, (laughs) isn't he kind of our main guy? Like, they're better cut back to three weeks later. And then you're like, oh no, he just didn't succeed. He talked himself out of it. Mm -hmm. Which he can talk himself out of suicide. He can talk himself out of intimate relationships. But heroin, he can't talk himself out of. I think it's less of, like, he is addicted to heroin and needs to do heroin, and I think it's more of just, like, he has decided to kill himself. He was looking at Oslo as, like, this thing that would maybe save him, as, like, maybe someone would stop him, I guess. And when that doesn't happen, he just decides... I mean, he chooses not to let it happen, I think, at the end, by the way. I think that, like, him, like, walking away from the people in the pool is, like, very much of him, just like, I'm done. And I think it's... Like I said, it's a bummer, so, like, definitely... If you're in a bad place, watch something else. Um, yeah, watch yeah. Paddington 2. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know what, guys? I, I don't want to say this for number five because you should see it. But if you're in a bad mood, just, just you know how, like, you'll skip over, like, if there are stones on a, on a rock path, sometimes you'll jump over one to another one. Just jump over this one. Come back to it, though. It's a solid stone. Just if you're in a really bad spot right now, don't watch this movie. It's a real downer. Yeah, it's a solid stone, but there's some like you know, there's like a little bit of water on it. You might slip, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, you know. Yeah, it's that. And you know what, Tyler? Now that we're in our top five and we need to take this seriously, I think I have to ask you before we get to the why. And feel free to do this with me as well if you want. What would you pair this with for a double feature? I mean, the fire inside, which is uh, also based on the same book. I mean, they're about the same things, but I love watching or the fire within, not the fire inside, by Louis Malle. I love watching something being adapted from like the same source material because you get like two different insights sometimes you get like two completely different takes which we'll talk about in a a later uh movie and i think it's i always think it's interesting to like watch two separate pieces you might like oslo august 31st less because the fire within is like considered like one of the greatest french new wave films but i think they're both worth looking at because they're both uh equally good adaptations in my opinion 
May I may I ask you a favor? Yeah. In February, since February is the month of love, and you know the French invented love, from what I understand, can we do a, a double feature of two French New Wave movies? Yeah, totally. Perfect. All right. Look, write it down on the books. Okay. Write it in All the right. books. All right. So, interesting. Okay. Personally, me, I'm gonna I'm gonna compliment you here. I would pair this with Shame. You know, they both yeah. they both are just a double feature of just wanting to lie down. And let the earth consume you. <laughs> it really does. There's a there's a great picture before Survivor Series and a, a week a couple weeks ago. There was a picture of Roderick Strong talking shit to Shinsuke Nakamura, and all of a sudden AJ Styles just jumps out from the side. You don't even see him. He just jumps onto camera and just punches Shinsuke. Someone got a photo of all of it happening before it actually happens, and someone just wrote for AJ Styles responsibility. And then, like, on Shinsuke, they wrote me. And for Roderick Strong, they wrote um, this upcoming weekend. Or, like, the end of the weekend. And it's like, what do you call it? That's exactly how I feel about this. It's like, how hard can we hit you twice? Not only are you going to get hit, you're going to get hit again by Oslo August 31st. Shame is a rough <laughs> is a rough watch. But, goddamn, now you're going to have to also read during this shit? Oh, God. <laughs> You've obviously heard my thoughts. I think this movie's fine. But, Tyler, you get the final three minutes. And you get to tell us why you love this movie. And why, most importantly, because that is the question, it should be on the list. In three, two, one. I think we need... As, as as film watchers, especially people who maybe like don't have as much of an experience with like foreign films, I think it's I think it's an easy movie to expand your horizons if you want to expand your horizons. It's a very basic movie. There's not a, it's not hard to miss anything. It's not like super super complicated. But I think we're seeing more and more people accept foreign film as like an avenue. I feel like this decade was really important with that. Also, it's just sometimes you just need like a stone cold bummer. Like I love watching sad movies when I'm sad or I love watching just sad movies in general. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like a perfectly made little art film that has stayed with me since I watched it. Like I knew the moment it was over. I was like, oh, that's one of the best movies of the decade. And then it's just like continued to be like one of my favorite movies of the decade. And yeah, that's that's about all I got for that. <laughs> it's really good. So that leads us on to my number five. Yeah. 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Never Let Me Go, and the aforementioned on my list, Dread. All of these movies star different people. They are all directed by different people. They are all made by different people. However, they are all tied together by one thing, and that is the start of something, which is the script. And these are all written by Alex Garland. And Alex Garland is a really incredible sci-fi writer, and he's a guy who I think is going to be a big deal. And in 2014, Alex Garland took his first steps away from not only just writing, but also into the field of directing. And he would come along with a couple movies, one being Annihilation in 2018, but more importantly, 2014's. This is a movie that pushes the boundaries of sci-fi, introduced us to a couple of amazing performances from people, including Oscar Isaacs, and we will get into it. This is 2014's, starring Domhnall Gleeson, Oscar Isaacs, and the star of the movie, in my opinion, Alicia Vikander as Ava. This is Ex Machina. Oh man, she's fascinating. When you talk to her, you're just through the looking glass. Through the looking glass, wow. 
You're good with words, Caleb. You're quotable. Actually, that's someone else's quote. You know, I wrote down that other line you came up with. The one about how if I've invented a machine with consciousness, I'm not a man, I'm God. I don't think that's exactly what I just I thought, fuck, man, that is so good when we get to tell the story, you know? I turned to Caleb, and he looked up at me, and he said, you're not a man, you're God. Yeah, but I, I didn't say that. So, anyway. You're impressed. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Although. Although? <laughs> there's a qualification to you being impressed? No, there's no qualification to her. Uh, it's just in the Turing test. The machine should be hidden from the examiner. No, 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 we're way past that. If I hid Ava from you so you just heard her voice, she would pass for human. The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Her language abilities, they're incredible. The, the system is stochastic, right? It's non-deterministic. At first I thought she was mapping from internal semantic form to syntactic pre-structure and then getting linearized words, but then I started to realize the model is some kind of hybrid. Caleb? No? I understand that you want me to explain how Ava works. But I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to do that. Try me. I'm hot on high-level abstraction. It's not because I think you're too dumb. It's because I want to have a beer and a conversation with you, not a seminar. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. You're all right. Just... Answer me this. How do you feel about her? Nothing analytical. Just... How do you feel? I feel that she's fucking amazing. Dude. Cheers. Cheers. By the way, Tyler, I'm, I'm just going to give you a little spoiler alert here, and they don't need to hear this, but if you don't think the clip is going to be Oscar Isaac's dancing, well, you're wrong. It's going to be that clip. I can't see it, Ben. No, but the lead up to it is great. He goes, he goes, you're wasting your time, man. Don't bother talking to her. She can't talk, but she can dance. And that is maybe one of the unintended. I was sitting there last night watching this again, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I put this on my list. This movie's amazing. You, you sent me that text, by the way. I did. What did you think of this? It's, it's all right. Here we go. I knew um, it. I think it's good, and I, I get why people like it, but I just don't think it goes far enough. That's my opinion. But, you know. We'll get into it. So we have questions? Yes, we do. Sorry, I was <laughs> reading about a Lucifer Cantor. Open up your Google document. Who's the crew? You already mentioned one person. Alex Garland is the filmmaker, and he's... I, I really like this first... It's a really well-directed first movie. And I think it's yeah, because... That... I think it's because it's super small. Well, also because he spent, like... He spent years working under Danny Boyle. Yeah, that's true. Alex Garland in his directorial debut. This is good because it's small. Like, that's why it works. It's like, what, four people? Five if you count the pilot, I think, and maybe six if you count the girl who hugs him at the beginning. She's a, she's a fucking featured extra. She's not. She doesn't get a credit. What are you talking about? She says a line. Technically, that counts. Oh, I, then she's, yeah, she's not. Yeah, she's actually princ not principal cast, but you know what I mean. She's got a SAG card because of that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Or whatever the British version of SAG is. Is it the same thing? 
Yeah, I think so. I don't know. BAFTA? I don't know. Is that a thing? That's the writing association. Yeah. So this movie is about... I mean, it, like I said, it stars Donald Gleason. It stars Oscar Isaac. By the way, Oscar Isaac's just going for it. He's really on it in this one. He's really doing something. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Well, apparently he had to get in shape for another movie, and that's why all the working out stuff is in it. That makes a lot of sense. It's um, pretty funny, actually, though. They what? use that really well. I'm going to make some guesses about what the other movie was. Do you think it was uh, Inside Lewin Davis? Nah, it couldn't have been. <laughs> Could you really? imagine? Could you imagine? He's getting yoked for fucking playing Lewin Davis. <laughs> He's, he's going to know how to handle himself, oh. though, guys. And the Coen brothers are like, I, this isn't what we asked for, was it? You know why he was getting jacked, right? Uh, was it the X-Men movie? Star Wars, dog. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> what do you call it? Fucking J.J. Fucking Abrams walks by him one day. He's just sitting there, like, reading some poetry or some bullshit. I don't know. Oscar Isaac seems like a sensitive fellow. And they're like, and, like, J.J. Abrams is like, man, I hear uh, fucking Adam Driver's getting pretty ripped for... Uh, <laughs> For Star Wars, and he goes, what? And he goes, yeah, that's what I hear. He says he's going to be the biggest guy on that set, and Oscar is like, oh, those fucking watchies not. I'm the fucking Han Solo of this bitch. I'm going to be the most yoked motherfucker. Goes up to Alex Carlin, he goes, hey, I'm working out during this movie. And he goes, what? And he goes, you heard me. Figure out a way to make it work. (laughs) I imagine just, like, J.J. Abrams poking him with, like, a toy lightsaber and being like, hey, tub of goo. (laughs) Get in some fucking shape. Look at them rolls. <laughs> you know what, it'd be really... J.J. Abrams is just an old southern colonel, but his walking stick is a lightsaber. He's like, look at them rolls. Look at them rolls over here, tubby. <laughs> it like... would be so much funnier if it was just a most violent year was what he was getting uh, I, I would for. Be so, I would be so stoked if it was for a most violent year. I don't think he wears anything less than an overcoat <laughs> the entire movie. That movie's called Trenchcoat the Movie, right? It's... So many trench coats. We're talking about Ex Machina. You're not getting off the subject. You Dang want it. this movie. So close. Yeah, you thought you were. We're bringing it back. You know who's not the most violent? You're Domhnall Gleeson, who's in this movie. Domhnall Gleeson with world's most punchable face. Domhnall Gleeson, I, I gotta tell you, dude, I will say this. This is my first full confession. Because I gotta tell you, upon watching this, I was like, why did I pick this movie? And I first of all realized that 2014, not a great year for movies. Like, 2014 is a well, Interstellar came out and they decided to not release any other movies. So, you're, you're fine. You picked Interstellar, you've turned me slightly around on Interstellar. Never will be on my top four, but you've turned me around on Interstellar. I don't know. Frank was released in 2014. That's an okay movie. I haven't seen Frank. Um, Donald Gleason's in it. Oh, well, there you go. So, Donald Gleason, I will say this is my first confession really wet behind the ears in this movie. You think so? He's not great. I disagree. I think he is great. I think he's good at times. And I think he gets better the deeper you go into it. And I think that's Alex Garland flushing out the performance. But at the start, I'm just like, ah, you kind of fucking suck at this movie, dude. Like, I, and he's, he's kind of supposed to. But, like, once you kind of get more and more on his side, it's good. But it's just, I, at, at first, I'm like, oh, this is rough. Because you can tell he's out of his league with these other two. I disagree. I think he's the best performance. Um, and I think my, my main problem is that the movie doesn't go far enough to turn him. Oh, I, I disagree. I don't think we've even gotten to the main performance. I think him being like this more silent, nebulous, like dweeby character relates to Oscar Isaac's like really over the top machismo guy. I think this is one of those like divides (laughs) that we occasionally have where it's like, these are people like two different things about movies. Okay. Well, I think we can both agree 
that Oscar Isaacs holds the golden hand the entire movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we don't need to debate that, but I need to debate this. Alicia Vikander is amazing in this movie. And Alicia yeah. Vikander, like, came out of nowhere. And I'll say this, too. I want better for Alicia Vikander. She really did win that Oscar for a dog shit movie. I think it was more for this. I mean, it can't be more for this because she was in the other one that she won for, which that movie fucking blows. Yeah, um, I know. So, <laughs> Man from Uncle, I like. Not seen Burnt. I'm, I'm not going to talk about the Danish girl. It's just not mm. happening. Bad movie. Yeah. Bad transphobic yeah. movie. Yep. I haven't seen Jason Bourne. She's in Jason Bourne. Fuck, I like the Bourne movies. I don't want to watch that one, though. I'm not talking about Light Between Oceans. Did that even exist? Yeah. <laughs> Whole things I don't know. Not going to talk about Doom Raider. What about Toilet uh, Fever? Huh? Which one? That movie? Toilet Fever. I don't know any of these movies. My point being is she should be doing better. What happened to Alicia Vikander? She's so good in this movie. She won an Oscar and they kicked her into a hole. <laughs> You crawl your way out, Alicia Vikander. You use that Oscar to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Her win seems so weird because it seemed like it was like a stamp, like, this is a movie star. And then it just never happened. I mean, it could still happen. But, like, I think that Tomb Raider was really supposed to be like, this is a movie star. And then, I don't know. I don't know. It's never happened. Yeah, it just, it didn't. But, I mean... Dude, just the way she moves in this movie. Oh, she's in the new David Lowry movie, so that's that's got my attention. Who? David Lowry. I don't know the name. Ghost Story, Pete's Dragon. No, uh, I don't. No, I, I don't know this guy. Anthem, Body Saints. It's very good. Pete's Dragon's a great movie, and was in a rough draft of like top twenty-five of the decade. I really like Pete's Dragon. It's a good movie. Ah, right, fair enough. What do you call though? But so let's, I guess we should get into what this movie's about. We've definitely talked about The Who. There is this guy played by Donald Gleason who is awarded this chance to go and kind of almost mentor under this guy who essentially created what in this world would be like Google if Google also owned everything else. Like he's the yes. guy who created the most effective search engine. So he's like, he's like this super rich, super ahead of his time programmer. And Donald Gleason gets to go kind of like learn under him. And he goes to his like remote place. By the way, best one of the best shots in the movie. He goes, he goes, how long till we or till we're on his property? And he goes, we've been flying over it for the past hour. Like this dude's like super fucking wealthy. So they go to this little remote cabin in the woods. By the way, also kind of a horror movie in some ways. I would say it's a thriller. Fair enough. And he gets there and he gets off and he meets Oscar Isaac, who's this programmer. And the programmer says, I need you to sign this NDA that says you won't talk about this. And he says, I'm not signing that. He goes, okay, you're going to miss out on something huge. He signs it. And Donald Gleason meets Alicia Vikander's character, who is this artificial intelligence. And he is there to essentially to affirm if she actually has artificial intelligence. It's a very bizarre, simple premise, but it plays really, really well. And with Oscar Isaac's character throughout the movie, you're getting these very, in some ways, over-the-top moments of, like, misogyny. Um, like, clearly yeah. he's very sexist. And what I, what I like about Donald Gleason's performance is that he is kind of like that nice guy type of sexist, where, like, he thinks he's good, but he, like, is equally as sexist as Oscar Isaac. I think my problem with the movie is it doesn't flesh that out enough. There's not enough of, of that to really sink my teeth into. For the most part, I was just kind of bored. <laughs> so... That's that's that'll be my statement. I think it's good. I think you should definitely watch it if you haven't. But like, yeah. 
Interesting. When and where did you first see this? I think I saw this about opening weekend. Um, I remember the trailers for this were super effective. And you could also tell this was going to be a big movie because there was a like standee for this movie. And we never got standees for independent movies. It was an A24 release, right? I believe that is correct. How did it play? I, I, it was a movie I think I meant to go see. Well, I'll, I'll say this. It really, really works in terms of... How do I put this? The marketing was quite effective. I remember when it came out, I was, we, the only, the reason I remember it so well is we went, my girlfriend and I went to Portland around the time it came out and the people we were staying with, they went and saw it while we were like going out and about. Anyway, that's like the reason I remember Ex Machina. That's the first thought I have anytime I think about Ex Machina. (laughs) Yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, it was really effective. I mean, I remember the audience we had and there was pretty decently sized and people reacted to it the way you wanted the film to be reacted to. Like people walked out talking about it. I distinctly remember people saying like she was exceptionally good. I remember people being like, oh my God, like what a strange ending and stuff. And it is kind of odd. I mean, like, I mean, like, unless you kind of see that shit coming, which you, you can to a certain extent, but it's good. I mean, I did a little bit. I, I mean, but that's just because, like, I've seen science fiction stories before and I kind of knew where it was going. To me, I don't want to keep harping on it, but if no, you, this is my thing. Okay. If you like Black Mirror, which I don't, I understand that that's a, that's a hill to die on. You will probably really like this because it has the same similar vibe. It has the same, like, really. Very much so. Uh, I can see that. Kind of, like, it's like, kind of feels like the writing is sort of the same. If you don't, like me, like Black Mirror, you probably won't like this. Because it just feels so... Like, I watched, like, 15 minutes, and I was like, oh, it's the Black Mirror episode. That's, like, an hour and a half. <laughs> excellent. Um, excellent. This is your version of Oslo, me, me saying August 31st. I'm like, hey, maybe skip this one if you're depressed. <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, you don't like Black Mirror? Probably not for you. You're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. But I like Black Mirror, so I love a good little Twilight Zone-esque thing that I don't have to think about afterwards and this just worked on a really high level for me. What would you pair this with? Thank you. Double feature wise? Oh my god, there's so many things you could pair this with. Fuck, I don't know. I'm trying to think. What's another great like sci-fi movie like this? I don't know. How about Robot and Frank? I've never seen it, but you know, why not that movie? Yeah, that's got a robot and a person in it. There we go. (sighs) Is Robot and Frank good? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, it's not a good movie, but iRobot. Oh, shit. Hold on. You know what? Yeah, iRobot. No, we're leaving all that in. Yeah, you know what? iRobot. <laughs> do you want to do it You think where you come up with it? <laughs> no, why would I do that? Robot. Okay. Me thinking Robot and Frank is a good idea, and just you just reacting to it. Nothing's going to replace how good that is. Okay. okay. Yeah, I get my last three minutes, though. Yes, let me set that up for you. All right. Your last three minutes uh, t- for me to talk for you to talk with me, not interrupting you, telling you how bad the movie is. Uh, in three, two, one. I felt that little jab. Ex Machina is absolutely a just wonderful, wonderful movie. It is probably not supposed to be as high as it should be on my list, but when I first made this, I was uh, really just going into it. And I got to tell you, at the time, I really did love Ex Machina. And I still do. I think Ex Machina has a lot of good stuff. I think there are three incredible performances in it. And I will give Donald Gleeson this. He gets better, as I said, throughout the movie. By the end of it, you are totally, like, rooting for him to, like, try to triumph and everything. And 
Yeah, it just works. Oscar Isaacs is really good. And I think I think it's funny we say Oscar Isaacs had kind of a rough decade because of Star Wars, but he's on two movies on the on the lists. And say what you will, Tyler was right. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis was going to be on his list. So in some technical ways, he was on both of our lists for this year, even though he did kind of have a rough decade. Alicia Vikander, I really want better for you. Please pick better projects. You don't have to do Tomb Raider. We get it. You're a young, beautiful, strong woman. You don't have to do Tomb Raider to do that. Do, do a movie Do a movie about, I don't know, anyone. Do some historical figure. I'll, I'll watch that. You don't, have to be a, you don't have to be Laura Croft. Those movies suck. But my point being is Ex Machina is like a real achievement in not only filmmaking, but it's also achievement in like special effects. She's not really there for most of that movie. It's a really beautifully done trick. And Alex Garland does it really simply. And he also hides it at times where he can't do it as much. And it's really well done. And this movie's this movie's tight. It's really quick. You can get in and out. If you like Black Mirror, like Tyler said, you're absolutely right. This will be for you. Like I said, Ex Machina. It deserves to be on the list. You ready to move on to your number four? Yeah. Based off of Ingmar Bergman's Winter Light, Robert Brisson's Diary of a County Priest, and the work of Carl Dreyer, as well as his own scripts, Paul Schrader crafted an absolute masterwork in 2018 with First Reform. Reverend Tolan, come on in. Uh, close the door. Why don't you take a seat? We're concerned about you. Who is? How's your health? I'm having some tests. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten your results? No. Right. What about your diet? You know, to be honest, you just don't look so good. I've had some, some stomach issues. And I understand you've been drinking. Huh. <laughs> it's just a little wine with dinner. Wine? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's not recommended for someone who has stomach problems. I understand, all right? I'll, I'll start taking better care of myself. You're always in the garden. Even Jesus wasn't always in the garden, on his knees, sweating blood. He was on the mount. He was in the marketplace. He was in the temple. But you, you're always in the garden. For you, every hour is the darkest hour. I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus doesn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm -hmm. He wants our commitment and our obedience. And one of his creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every plant, every river, every tiny insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where, where the church can lead, but, but they say nothing. The, the US Congress still denies climate change. Where were we when these people were elected? The, 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 we know who spoke for big business, but, but who spoke for God? The creation waits an eager expectation of liberation from bondage. That's Romans 8.23. You understand? So we should pollute so God can restore? We should sin so God can forgive. I don't think that's what the apostle meant. I think we're supposed to look with the eyes of Jesus into to every... You don't living... live in the real world. I... You don't. 
You, you are a minister at a tourist church that no one attends. Do you have any idea what it takes to do God's work? I'm trying. To, try. to maintain a mission of this size, the staffing, the outreach, the, the amount of people that we touch each day. Who is that priest that you like so much? Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton. He didn't live in the real world either. Yes, he did. No, he was a monk would, who lived would, in a monastery he, he, in Kentucky and wrote books. Well, somebody has to do something. It's the earth that hangs in the balance. Well, what if this is his plan? What if we just can't see it? You think God wants to destroy his creation? He did once. For 40 days and 40 nights. Abundant life, we're with you. Okay, we care. We do. And I know this is a hard time for you, but we're going to help you with that. Once we get through the reconsecration service, you, you need to go to rehab. You need to go check yourself into a medical institution. All right, maybe go to Nicaragua and preach the gospel or build houses, but do something in the real world. And if you can't do the ceremony, I will understand that. You're expected to be there, but look, we can just say that you were sick, which no, is true. No, it's, not, it's, it's not about the ceremony. I, can, I, 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 I want to be there. I have to be there. It's my church. It's 250 years. I want to be there. I want to introduce you, please. Well, Ed Balk has decided that he would like to make comments, so the governor will introduce him. Will that be a problem? Not at all. Not at all. Good. Good. Listen, we'll get through this reconsecration. It'll be special. And then we'll deal with these other issues. Thank you. I am certainly glad you picked this because this would not have made my end of the decade list, but this is certainly would have been on my 2018 best of the year list. And man alive, is this movie good. Uh, you were talking about how 2014 was a bad year, not a great year for movies. I think 2018 is kind of like secretly like a very good year, especially for, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, there's, uh, there, like, is a, there is a lot of underrated stuff in 2018 that's only going to get better with time. My best of the year, literally the first three spots were all, I was like, oh, they're all 1A, 1B, 1C, because they're all five stars, and I can't, I, you can't t tell me to choose which one to put. But Do you want to give a little credit to what are these other ones from 2018? The other ones are Leave No Trace by Deborah Granick, who directed Winner's Bone and a few other movies. Hmm. I mean, and we also, of course, from 2018, can't forget Ari Aster's Hereditary. Sure, yeah, totally. The writer, uh, <laughs> written and directed by Chloe Zhao. We also can't forget about the amazing filmmaking of the Russo brothers for Avengers Infinity War. I mean, amazing is one way to describe it. Um, it is, yeah. You definitely could put that word as an adjective in front of there. You could put a bunch of adjectives in front of their word. You could, and that's the one we're going to pick. Yeah, I'm not going to say any more. Revenge. <laughs> so yeah, first reformed. Wait, didn't didn't you have a third one? No, no, no. Those were first reformed was one A, and then one B and C were the writer and ah, okay, so that was the third. Okay, I won't Those... bring up the amazingly well crafted Isle of Dogs. I, I won't bring that one up. You could, I guess. 
but those yeah check the, the other two movies out they're very the <laughs> boy are they tyler movies because they are slow and a lot of people will fall asleep during them but i saw all three of these movies actually in theaters uh surprisingly which i don't know that's rare for me <laughs> i did this movie didn't come to theaters for me yeah it did <clears throat> oh did it it played for like two weeks at riverside Oh, man, maybe I missed this completely. Yeah. Then. I saw it on like the last day it was showing because I was like, oh, fuck, I got to go see that. <laughs> and I've dragged my girlfriend and uh, another friend of mine and they were not having it. And I was. It was like yeah. two parents sitting outside of a ball pit just looking pissed while you're just there in the ball pit being like, I love you, First Reformed. <laughs> so let me ask you, uh, who made this, as you mentioned, Paul Schrader and who's in it? Uh, Paul Schrader, who people might know as the writer of Taxi Driver, he also wrote and directed American Gigolo, Blue Collar, Hardcore, Light Sleeper, Dog Eat Dog, but a bunch of movies. Uh, the Canyons, I don't movies you don't have to worry about. But he did a, he's done a lot of what is known as with Taxi Driver, God's Lonely Man, which is like this like narrative, like narration filled guy writing in a diary. It's all like kind of internal and about him. Um, and this is his most recent one starring Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried, and Cedric Kales, also known as Cedric the Entertainer. That uh, made me laugh so hard. Who gives a fucking all-timer of a performance as the supporting character in this. Yeah, it should have been. A, by the way, th- we will be getting to some injustices later, in my opinion, for awards. This may be the first real one I have an injustice with. The fact that not only was Ethan Hawke not nominated, which, by the way, not just only not nominated, Ethan Hawke should have won Best Actor this year. This was the best performance of that year. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but that they didn't have the balls to nominate Cedric the Entertainer for a supporting actor. Didn't have to win, but should have been nominated. He should have been. Could you imagine the suit Cedric the Entertainer is going to wear to the Oscars? To the Oscars! You people are cowards! Him just hanging out with... Spike Lee, man, would have been great. Would have been great. However, did this win anything at the awards? I think it won. No, I think it was nominated for best screenplay. I don't think it won. It was the first time Schrader has ever been nominated for a screenplay uh, for an Academy Award. The man who wrote Taxi Driver. The man who wrote Taxi Driver. The man who made like. Like a bunch of really good movies. Well, not a bunch, but he's he's made some he's made some great movies. Never was nominated for an Oscar before. Oh my god, just yeah. so fucking frustrating. It doesn't doesn't make sense to me. But um, it did win some Independent Spirit Awards, which it's not the same thing, but it's nice. I think this movie, even making back its modest budget, is sort of a success in this day and age, because it is not a commercial movie by any means. Let's get into the plot a little bit. <laughs> tell us what the plot is. I also have pulled up something that we'll come back to, but tell us the plot. Ethan Hot plays a reverence Ernst Toller, who is a pastor at First Reformed Church in Snowbridge, New York. It's basically the the first act is basically the plot of a movie called Winter Light by Ingmar Bergman, which if you've never seen, do yourself a favor and go onto the Criterion channel, like borrow someone's password or get a free month and specifically watch that movie. It is among the best movies of all time. It is my favorite Ingmar Bergman movie by a long stretch. And it's about essentially a woman comes to the priest. She is pregnant. She wants the priest to talk to her husband 
who is having anxiety about the world and bringing a child into it. In Winter Light, it is about the Chinese having an, a nuclear bomb. In this movie, it is about climate change. And what this movie does that Winter Light doesn't do is show the priest the after uh, effects of him learning about this and what happens when that person that he's trying to reach out and help and is doing kind of a bad job at actually does take their own life and how he ends up becoming radicalized into the environmental activist uh, community in a weird way and taking on that person's mission in potentially suicide bombing something, um, which is very radical, like the most radical it could be. Let's also not forget the thing that he might be suicide bombing is the church down the road that has kind of absorbed his church and it's like a big mega church. So mm-hmm. add that onto it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is this is arguably one of the darker movies of the decade. And man alive is it brought together with just an incredible central performance from Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Not just one of the darker movies, but it's also one of the most politically volatile. It really is fucking hard <laughs> like but it man, really is but hard man but man is it good and man do, i mean yeah. i'll tell you this my father doesn't usually catch movies before i do but he saw this before i did and he shot me a text one morning he's like you need to download first reformed or you need to find first reformed and i at the time was like okay i'll, I'll look into it and I, I had it on my computer for like about a month and my dad's like have you watched first reformed yet i'm like no I'll, I'll get to it he's like no you really need to watch first reformed so I popped it on one weekend and I was like, oh shit, like he's not wrong. And it's man, like why was Ethan You want to you want to hear you want to know what's really going to hurt you the most, Tyler? Mm. Do you remember who won for that year? I remember not liking the performance. Oh yeah, I know I know exactly who won. It's the fucking uh it's Mr. Robot. Yeah. Ethan Hawke was somehow not only not only nominated over but beaten out by Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. One of the worst performances of the decade. Yeah, a very bad performance. <laughs> yes, yes. Christian Bale for Christian Bale for Vice. Totally fine if he would have if he would have if he no, that's a really good performance, man. He in disappeared. A, in a, not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not saying the movie's good, I'm saying the performance is good. Bradley Cooper for Star is born. Stay around. Actually. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. That would have been fine. I've been fine with that. Willem Dafoe to Eternity's Gate. If it means Dafoe has an Oscar and it's just for a career and not for this, totally great. It would have been amazing. Uh, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. It's not a good movie, but it's not a bad performance. Uh, Viggo Mortensen's quite charming in that movie. Actually, it's just not a good movie. He teaches uh, a black man to eat chicken. I know that's not his fault. He didn't write the movie. He performs in the movie and he does it to the best of his abilities. That's all I can say. I'm not nearly as mad at Green Book as I am for Rami Malek winning. We're not talking about Green Book. No, we're not. <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about good movies. Oh, and by the way, Mahershala Ali for Best Supporting Actor. That's fine. Cedric the Entertainer, I'm sure, could have replaced Sam Rockwell for Vice. Yeah, that's not Oh, great. yeah. We can kick Sam Rockwell right yeah. the fuck out of it. Yep. Bye-bye. People don't understand how good Cedric the Entertainer is and how reliant this movie is on just, like, two people in a room talking. A lot of the movies was, like, two people having a conversation and... It makes that click in a way that, like, not a lot of modern movies can. I think about the scene where Ethan Hawke and Cedric uh, Kales are are talking about the youth and about how quickly they become radicalized. And I, I think about that scene, like, 
like once a month still. And this is like a year after I've seen it. Yeah, I don't Yeah. Yeah. This movie just it clicks. Or the scene where Ethan Hawk is talking to Michael, the person who Amanda Seafried's husband who's trying like she's trying to get to like reach out and talk to someone about. Like that scene, I think, is like gut-wrenching the second time you watch it because you're just watching a person slowly be like drift away wow a lot of suicide in my in the in the top 10 for me <laughs> wait a <Ugh>. minute <laughs> wait a, wait a tick <laughs> remember remember when they remember when they find paddington in that clot never mind i'm not i'm not doing that dark <laughs> <not> joke that. <laughs> yeah well come um, on it was an autoerotic asphyxiation joke and like it ends with the dad going i guess he just couldn't bear it and then they all just look at each other and he just goes huh and like, then it just goes to black. That that would be my ending for Paddington. That's super dark. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. I would. I would tell you to to, to drop that ending. <laughs> You're like Ben. I got one note. The ending. I go brilliant, isn't it? You're like, oh shit, he likes it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh no, he's committed to it. Oh no, Ben. Ben found himself in a real like to me. It's like Ben found him a real uh, self moment where he couldn't get out of the end of the sketch. <laughs> so let me ask you this when and where did you first see this because i think we talked about what it's about i mean it's about a man slipping slowly and slowly further away from society and just alienating himself which i gotta say paul schrader writes quite well i mean he's very good at it if you want more of that you can watch taxi driver if you haven't which i don't know how you're here and haven't watched taxi driver here, here's my here's my analogy nancy myers is to romantic movies to what paul schrader is to movies about people slipping away from society another one another good one is american gigolo and another another good one, Double Double, uh, Light Sleeper. You want to hear my American Gigolo impression? Go for it, yeah. All right, what's his pimp's name? Can't remember off the top of my head. You remember who it is, though? I think so. Is it Bill Duke? That would be so goddamn good if it's Bill Duke. I hope it is Bill Duke. I think it is. Yeah, as Leon James. Are right, you ready? Yeah. Them hoes ever turn on you, they go. There you go. <laughs> That's my that's my American Gigolo impression. I'm sad that it's such a good one. <laughs> I think it's more it, it would be less upsetting if it was like kind of bad. But it actually kind of works. But it works. It fits. Yeah, and I don't like Let me that. let me let me ask you this, Tyler. What's really going to bake your noodle later is did Ben just do um audio blackface kind of cuz that's a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I don't like that. It's pretty accurate though, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't like it. Listeners, if if you're upset, I am too. <laughs> I'm as outraged for everyone. Um, so, the I first guess, time, just to get yeah, back to your question, <laughs> when did you first see this? I I, I talked about it. Um, I saw it at Riverside during the one or two weeks it was running. A24 has this tendency to do this in Reno, where like this, that not very good Trey Edward Schultz movie, it comes at night, where it plays for like two weeks. And then it disappears because it's not doing very well or, you know, because this movie barely made its, its budget of three million back. But I'm glad it did. So, yeah, I saw it during those two weeks where it was out. And on the one hand, I had my friends who, are, who I was with who were like not really jiving and were kind of like laughing at certain points. And then I also there was also a homeless man in the theater who anytime Ethan Hawke said something about God or Jesus would respond to the movie as if it was a play and not a movie, which also very weird. I gotta say, might make that movie better in some ways. It didn't. It made, it really took me out of it. But the, what I'm trying to say is, aside from all of that, I still really, really clicked with it. Okay. Yeah, I think I saw it at home. Good place to see it. Yeah, it is. Very quiet. 
And I, before we get to your final couple minutes on it, what would you pair this with? I maybe wouldn't pair it with Winter Light <laughs> because, like, you're just watching the movie over again at a certain mm-hmm. point. But I would say, like, if you watch it, take a break, like a day off or two, then watch Winter Light because then you kind of get a lot of, like, what the opening is doing. Diary of a County Priest by Robert Bresson, if you're just willing to go, like, fucking face first into, like, 60s, 50s art house film, it takes a lot from that. And I think they're both very good, in my opinion. And they're both, like, kind of doing a lot of the same things, but in radically different ways. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, those those are the two movies that if you if you watch First Reform and you're like, I got to follow this up with something, I'd say follow it up with Diary of a County Priest. And then, because Schrader loves Brisson and talks about Brisson all the time, and then take a couple days off and watch Winter Light, because I think Winter Light is a fucking masterpiece. All right. Well, then there we are. I like this. And Tyler, your final three minutes to give us why First Reform deserves to be on that list starts in three, two, one. It's a movie that I have tried again and again to get other people to see what I see in it. And I'm not ever, I've never been successful, (laughs) but I keep trying because I think it is a movie that is so incredibly worth the time and investment and like the, the studying of the subject outside of the movie. I've spent time looking up the, the, the person that is also named Ernst Toller, who in real life was a German playwright who moved from like fascist Germany to America. I have read about like the actual church it takes place in. I've read about like Schrader's career and how it relates to his influences and how it relates to how he's matured from like the taxi driver aesthetic and how he keeps coming back to those types of men. And I think it is a fascinating uh, amalgamation of influences, a culmination of a person's style and career. And I think it is a deeply important work about how our environment is slowly deteriorating and how we can't do anything to stop it. And how instead of slipping slowly into the despair and miasma of worrying about the world, finding something in it to ground you and appreciate and to love and to nourish and how that is the most rewarding thing that you can do in your life is a very deeply important meaning and one that absolutely resonates with me every time I think about it or watch it. So that's why it's on uh, the best of the decade list. That'll be my time. So moving on to my number four, a movie about a con job mixed with subtle commentary about the world of class systems Understandable why this took home the Palm Door this year for 2019. The story of the help downstairs clawing their way upstairs by any means necessary. Bong Joon-ho's visionary masterpiece from 2019 is arguably one of the best movies I've seen this year. It stars an all-Korean cast and truly comments on what is truly wrong, not just in one society, but in all societies, and that's the way we treat each other and the way we are treated based on what we have and who we are in society, not what we are. This is 2019's Parasite. Respect! This movie made $121 million. <laughs> yes, it did. You know what time it is, Tyler? Holy shit, dude. <laughs> I'll tell you what time it is, Tyler. It's time for Parasite to claw its way into the best picture conversation. Because, dude, this movie fucking rules. I... I agree. 
I think much like with Roma, it's going to get Best Foreign and not Best Picture. Unless they don't nominate it for Best Foreign, in which case it'll probably get Best Picture. But do I you, see one or the other, and I think I see Bong Joon-ho. Not at best, because I don't think that I don't think they'll ever give a foreign a foreign film a, the best picture uh, Oscar. I just you don't think the Academy will think ever do ever, that. You don't think they'll ever do it? Ever, 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 ever. I think the Irishman think being on Netflix has much more of a shot of winning best picture, even though it definitely won't, than it than this foreign movie does. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's let's get into it. Okay. Who made it? This is the newest film from Bong Joon-ho, or as I like to call him, the fucking rock star director of maybe this decade in some ways. Did you ever get around to watching Memories of a Murder? I have it downloaded. I am going to watch it once I find some subtitles. <laughs> I will send you subtitles. That movie fucking slaps. Bong Joon-ho is <sighs> so good. This decade he's made this movie, Okja, and Snowpiercer. I think those are the three that he made. I believe you are correct. Oh, well, it's so funny you missed one. No, that was, never mind. I was going to say Mother. Mother's 2009. Yeah. Fucker. I know when Mother came out. I love Mother, he says. I love Mother, yeah. It came out in 2009. It'd be on my best of the last year's decade. Although Memories of a Murder might be. But he's also well known for the host, Memories of a Murder, the aforementioned Memories of a Murder. And this is probably his most successful American movie. I don't think Snowpiercer did crazy numbers, did it? Snowpiercer did really well. Do you remember why Snowpiercer was such a big deal? Because it was like the first movie Captain America did after being Captain America? It's the first movie that they put to VOD. Oh. And it did exceptionally well. I did not know that. It's a Weinstein movie. Yeah, we all know. I just see, anytime I see the name, like a Weinstein picture, I'm just like, So... If you've seen Snowpiercer, it's playing with some similar uh, political ideas of class and class inequality and uh, thinking Ayn Rand sucks. To be fair, does. To be fair, Ayn Rand does suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think she sucks for different reasons for different people. Like, I understand all the reasons other people suck, but it's like, your name's not clear enough. What, what, what does that mean, Ayn? What the fuck is that? Russian oh. fucking oligarch name. Get out yeah. of here. Think you're better than me? I'll fucking V-trigger you back to Soviet Union, you son of a bitch. Sorry. Sorry. Wow. USA. Wow. USA. Wow. Sorry. Um, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You, she, her family got out of the Soviet Union because of the Bolshevik Revolution. Well, look, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't <laughs> like the name. What do you want? Oh, so it is a girl, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I know. Is that a dude? Is that a woman? I don't know. name. <laughs> Let's 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 no let's get out of this. Respect. I'm just gonna have us cut back in with that again. Ben, the wing is on fire. Yeah. So you say? I see it is only half on fire. So this movie stars an all Korean cast, and I mean, the only way you really need to look at it is there is a mother, a father, a sister, and a brother who are low class called the Kims. The Kims live in, like, super low-income housing and, like, are super poor and kind of work, like, shit jobs to, like, kind of just have the minimal comforts. Would you agree with this? Yeah. They, they live literally in a basement. But at the same time, the Kims are insanely devoted to one another. Mm-hmm. And it is at this moment that 
Kiwu, the son, is approached by one of his friends, and the friend says, hey, I need you to tutor this girl who I am, like, tutoring right now because I'm leaving for out of state, and I don't want anything to happen to her. I like this girl. That's the the setup. And it's through this that this boy is brought into this world of this super well-off family, and in no uncertain terms brings his family into their life through deception, and they start to insert themselves into these people's lives and start kind of using them to not only make money, but also kind of live off of them. Yes. And kind of, uh, yeah, essentially. Kind of, it's a, like, a, like a chess game where they're kind of trying to like manipulate things so that, that all of the family members can like it's, equally it's a get con, paid. It's a con job is yeah. what it is. It's, yeah. and, and I'll say this, it might be one of the best con job movies I've ever seen. Because the whole idea is, like, they are conning these people by being super respectful and nice to them. Mm-hmm. And it, and they're getting so much more out of it. I'm not saying anything other than saying, yeah, because my brain is is trying to remember the movie. Because it's been a little bit since I've seen it. Not a little bit. It's been, like, a month since I've seen it. And what you said reframed it a little bit for me. I like the movie. I'm, I'm going to say that. I really do like the movie. I think it is a good movie. And I think if you haven't seen it by now, which, A, like, what are you doing? B, you should really see it. I think Bong Joon-ho is one of the best builders of a movie. Like, he's really good at, like, setting up the, the like, story of the movie and then, like, giving you, like, these things to kind of, like, piece together and work out and then, like, flipping it all on its head in a way that's very satisfying and very interesting. And I think he definitely does that with this movie. Did you get enough of who was in it? Do you want to go down yeah, through some yeah, of the cast? Or... The, like I said, there are two families. The other family, who are the ones who are the super rich family that they start to kind of insert their lives into, there's Mr. Park, Mrs. Park, their two children, one an older girl about 17, and a young boy, I would say, about nine, and their housekeeper. And it's through the series of events that they push out the old housekeeper, the mother of the Kims becomes the housekeeper, the father becomes the driver, the daughter becomes the art therapy tutor for this young boy. By the way, I think that young boy's running a con job on all of them. <laughs> I think so, too. I mean, what's-her-name says it in no uncertain terms. The, the, daughter, the daughter says, like, he goes, he's not really like that. Like, that's just a lie. And then you have the young daughter who the son of the, of the Kims eventually kind of seduces and, like, gets, like, I mean, if everything had gone a certain way, probably would have ended up marrying her. Yeah, which I think is, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't like oh, it's dark, but it's exactly what um, you would expect. It, that dude's playing the long game before something happens. Do we want to, like, spoil anything? Yeah, yeah, we do, because I okay. want to talk, talk about this movie. Okay, we're going to spoil some stuff, so, like, if yeah. you haven't seen it, guys, hey. this is Guys, if you have not seen this, this is out in theaters. If it's near you in a theater, please go give this movie money. Uh, this is the movie I well, want to see. It probably won't be in theaters when this comes out. Mm. But if it is, if it's in like a second run theater, go. That or if this does what I think it's going to do, I think if this gets a nomination for picture, if you're going to nominate 10, why not? If this is up for a foreign or like a picture, if you can find it during Oscar season, go find it. Definitely. It deserves your eyeballs. It's Yeah, and guys, we haven't gotten to Tyler's number one, but you're going to ask yourselves, well, you're doing a top 10 list for the year for 2019 is this just going to be your number one it is not this is on another level this is moved to decade level status so this will not be on there but if i didn't do a decade list this would absolutely be my number one movie of the year thus far yeah mine is going to be the same so yeah yeah 
So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which we will get to soon. Mm, very um, soon. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, the thing is, they, they get one of the most beautiful moments in this movie I just want to talk about is once they've all established themselves in the Park family's life and the Park family goes out of town for like a camping trip and you just have the Kim family in their house just enjoying themselves. It's one of the most subtly beautiful moments of this movie. Yeah, I, I really do love that moment. I, and, you know, as soon as it starts raining, I'm like, I would clean the fuck up because they're coming home. Like, I, as a as a poor person, would have been like, rich people can't handle the rain. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, all right, we're putting everything away. We're making sure we're not here. We're getting the fuck out of Dodge. Uh, I think... One of the things that I really love is there's this really small detail when they make, I think it's the lamb, or is it like steak noodle or like lamb noodle? Yeah, yeah. Talk about this. You told me this. I found this infinitely fascinating. And so the the wife, the, the, the Parks family's wife, like what she does is she offers it to the boy first. The boy says like he does, like he's not hungry. And then he off, she offers it to the dad and the dad's like, like uninterested. And then she eats it. And then the, the, the daughter is upset that she didn't offer her it, even though she probably wouldn't have taken. And it's a very subtle commentary on, it's not very subtle, but it's a commentary on South Korea's like patriarchy, the societal patriarchy, because she doesn't even think about her daughter. She'd rather offer it to the men first. And when the men say no, then it's up. It's hers. Like the daughter isn't even in the fucking house. Like the daughter doesn't even exist. And I thought that that was like a really, they're spending, they're spending enough money on her not to exist. Jesus Christ. Exactly. What, but what the, they're but, fucking paying him is insane. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just one of those things where it's like they would rather spend more time on the boy who's clearly not gifted. He's clearly like, he's smart, but he's like, he's not like going to be the next like best squat or whatever they think he's going to be. But have you seen his paintings? They're so metaphorical. <laughs> like, that might, that's the best recurring joke in this movie too. Yeah. I, I don't know. I find that, like, little moment. It doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. It's not even, like, a key point. But I think that says a lot about what the movie is well, trying to get at. And it's funny you say that, too. You talk about a small little key plot detail. I That brings me to our twist of the movie, and I want to talk about this. There is a scene in the movie where they are attempting to figure out how to get the housekeeper out of the house. And the dad, Mr. Park, is talking to his driver, who is now the dad, Mr. Kim. And Mr. Park says to Mr. Kim... The housekeeper is great. She's a wonderful human being. She eats enough for two, but the amount of work she does for us, it's understandable. During this rainstorm, the old housekeeper comes back, who they forced out because they made it look like she had tuberculosis, which is just brilliantly done in terms of the con job to get her out. And the woman comes back. She says, I left something down in the cellar. I was forced out so quickly. So she goes down there. The family is hiding. Only the housekeeper mom of the of the Kims is there. She goes downstairs and she sees this woman attempting to move something like a big shelf. By the way, the image of that is just haunting for some reason to me. Mm -hmm. uh, like the of like the person like standing like trying to move the shelf uh, against the wall. Against the wall, pushing. Yeah, because you're like, well, what the fuck is this? And she pushes it back, and all of a sudden, there's a door behind it. And she opens the door and goes running down, screaming for someone. And you find out that this woman has been hiding her husband in this bomb shelter that nobody knows about for years. And this is where the movie takes a step from like, oh, okay, I think I know what this movie is to, 
I don't know what the fuck is going on. And I shouldn't be surprised. Boon Jong Ho does this very well. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he did this in The Host. I didn't know what The Host was going to be. I mean, I saw the trailer for The Host, so I knew. But if you had gone into The Host, you're like, okay, it's a movie about, like, a family going through a crisis. And then you're like, what the fuck is this monster about? He does it very, like, similarly with, like, Memories of a Murder, where you think you know where it's going. And then it kind of, like, flips a little bit. Like, it doesn't flip, like, completely, but it, it kind of becomes about something else. A very interesting movie that I love. I'm going to watch it. You know what? He might be now in the conversation for a Mount Rushmore. I mean, he's what? Like, what? Seven movies? Eight movies? Let's Nine? see. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. He'd almost be perfect. That would be. Yeah. yeah. He's got eight on, eight off. Or, fuck, four on, four off. Yeah, exactly. A three. But yeah, and you find out that this woman, the old housekeeper, was hiding her husband down there. And it eventually gets discovered that this family is conning this family by her. And it starts to become this game of, like, who's going to come out on top? Like I said, this movie is about the lower class clawing their way to the top any by any means necessary. Big spoiler, no one comes out on top. <laughs> Everyone is irreparably damaged. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've kind of... we've. I think we've done the who and the what. And I saw this in theaters the Saturday it came to Reno and goddamn, it was, there were some people in there, but I really wish there had been more. I hope more people go to see this. I got two friends of mine to go see it and they were, uh, they were both like, I don't know if I liked it, but it was certainly interesting. And like the more that, like I've talked to two of them, we had her over for Thanksgiving yesterday and she was talking to my mom. My mom was like, have you seen the lighthouse? And my, and she's like, no, I haven't seen it. And my mom's like, oh, you have to go see it. And she was like, Katie was like, have you seen Parasite? And my mom's like, no, I've been told I need to see that. And Katie just looked over at me and she's like, Ben. And she's like, respect. I'm like, respect. That's what this movie is like. It ingrained its way into like kind of the consciousness. And like Katie came up to me and she goes, you know, the more I think about that movie, the more I really like that movie. I'm like, yeah, it's really good. I think this is Bong Joon-ho's best movie like to date. I really do. And I have not seen all of his stuff. So maybe that'll change. But I really, really enjoy this film. Yeah, I agree. It's a very interesting film. I will brag and say that I saw it in a packed theater a week after you. Because no, you, Portland, no, that, no, that's for not some true. Reason. You, saw, you saw Pain and Glory. I did see. I, well, I actually did see Pain and Glory, but they. I, I have I told the story on the podcast before. You have, but it's still a great yeah. story. I just the moment where they like they like we the trailer played and everybody was like, huh. <laughs> you actually, I think you tell it on the one I'm editing right now, and I think I come up with I go, and then there's Anthony Pand- or Antonio Banderas with his merengues, just <laughs> ringing it up again. Pain and Gloria is a movie that we will probably talk about at the at the at the start of next year, talking about best movies of the year. But this movie, another great 2009 movie. I'm I'm glad it like really caught on here, and I think it resonates here because he's talking about a lot of the same late stage capitalist like patriarchal stuff, and that Americans can really relate to a lot of the struggles of the Kim family mm-hmm. and the haves and have-nots, and like the divide, like the the divide that seems to be increasing, getting wider by the day. Yeah, what would you pair it with? What would I pair this with? God, that's a great question. Because the more you think about it, the more you're just like, fuck, like, what? Because this is such an original kind of movie in some ways. But you know what I would pair it with? Because it is kind of a movie about conning people. I think I would pair this. Ah, that doesn't even work because that's almost too weird. Like, you're like, who shows up to that double feature? I got one. Uh, I got a weird one. You know what? I'll say this. I would pair this with the host because... Honestly, 
I think Boon Jong Ho deserves his own double feature. I love the host and I love this. And that dude has managed to make two really effective movies within two decades, along with other great stuff too, but movies that I just think about more and more. But what would you pair this with? 1990s, Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. Ooh, that's not bad. Yeah. Oh, that one, that one's a little bit more about race and like uh, class as well as class, but like both are, both are really good. Hmm. Interesting. And you let me know when you're ready. Three, two, one, go. Parasite, like I said, above all is a great movie that takes two different genres and mixes them together exceptionally well. It takes the con job movie and mixes it with a movie about social classism and things like that. And it really just works on every level. The performances are incredible. All these people, yes, it's a foreign movie for sure. Like I understand that, but you guys need to get over that. Foreign movies are great. And for, and Tyler said it before about Oslo, August 31st, foreign movies have had a really, really good kind of like resurgence in this decade. I mean, think about stuff like just all the great foreign movies that have come out this decade. There are a ton. I mean, shit, we could do a top 10 list on the best foreign movies of the decade if we wanted to. But Parasite is among the best, and in my opinion, the best foreign movie of the decade. And I highly recommend you guys watch it. It's absolutely amazing. It deserves recognition. And overall, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play it again here, but it deserves our respect. This is an incredible movie. I believe that this should be up for best picture. I believe this should be up for best director. I believe it deserves a supporting asker for uh, Kang Ho Song as Mr. Kim. I think he's absolutely incredible in this movie and he's worked with him before several times and he's great so yeah parasite it deserves to be up for all these things it deserves to be up for best original screenplay it's an incredible movie highly recommend you guys watch it give it the love made a hundred million dollars movies like this need to keep doing things like this because they need to stick around it can't all be air we need to be able to eat something substantial once in a while and that's what parasite is it's substantial and it's incredible while also being one of the most entertaining movies of the year absolutely deserves to be on this list Good movie. From one good foreign movie from 2019 to another good foreign movie from 2019. Although this movie's really from 2018, it just didn't play anywhere in America that I could see it until 2019. So again, cheating, but fuck you. I don't care. Right to someone who does care. And that is, of course, should I intro, intro it right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, of course, Jai Zingi's I hope that's how you say it. 2018 slash 2019 film, Ash is Purest White.
Tyler, who made this? And who's in the crew that accident? Okay. That, oh boy. Good luck, me. This is my first ever Jai Zangi film. I hope that's how you pronounce it, please. Let me be close. Let me at least be ballpark. He is Chinese director. And he is kind of this, like, he's very well respected in the, like, critic circles. He's made a lot of interesting movies. But the ones that people might know him for are A Touch of Sin, Mountains Made to Part. Those are, like, the two from this decade that people should take a look at. His last four movies have all screened in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. He is, by many means, not just mine, considered to be one of the best living filmmakers. And this is his most recent film. Stars, Zhao To and Lyo Fan, both longtime Chinese actors, in roles that are really hard for people, like just really hard acting roles. These two actors, Tao Zhao and Fan Liu, pretty incredible in this movie, dude. Mm-hmm. They're great, and they're playing, playing like really sad characters. Uh, <laughs> sad, yeah. That's being unkind to the word sad. <laughs> Zhao Tao plays the girlfriend of a mob boss named Bin, and they have a lot of power in the province or city of Daetong. I apologize so much for butchering all of these, like, Chinese words, Mandarin words. Uh, they sound good, actually. I think you're doing okay. well. You're sounding them out. I think that's the best you can do. They, I should have studied up on this a little bit before, but that's my bad. Essentially what happens is they have a ton of power, and then she gets arrested. She spends some time in jail. When she comes back, Bin doesn't really want anything to do with her, and she has this like long journey. She eventually finds him when he is an old man, and at the end of the movie, he once again leaves her, leaving her alone and broken. There's a lot more <laughs> to it than that. There's a ton of side plots and side stories. It is very sad. Yet again, another one. Wow. Three for three for me. <laughs> I really should have spaced some of these out. God damn, and your other two aren't... Oh my god! Are any of your movies happy? I'm uh, looking I really at it thrown, right. I really should have thrown Paddington Two oh, in, in oh, here. Oh, Paddington Two is fine. You're right. Paddington Two is like, like, like you're taking a journey through the forest of sadness, and then like you get to Paddington Two, like this is a nice rest stop. There's there's an A and W here. This is great. It's more than a nice rest stop. It's like oh, it's an A and W, and they have they their ice cream machine never breaks. <laughs> Take a lesson, McDonald's. Their fries are always fresh. Oh, it's great. Oh, let's get back on the road. Uh, turn off to Oslo, August 31st. No! Uh, no! Yeah, but this movie is really sad. But also, these two are incredible. Mm-hmm. This is one of the better, strong... And would she ha- be in competition for this year or last year? I think it would be this year, because it... I don't know. I don't, it didn't really have, like, a a strong theatrical release. And it might have played in a couple places. Rest them for, uh, yeah. I, they should arrest them. Yeah. I saw it as a part of the Portland Film Festival, and it was like one of the handful of movies that I went and saw during it. And it played in like a really like packed like auditorium. It was mostly like like Chinese people who went and, went and saw it, and old old white people. Okay, um, it, it played. It played first time in the United States that was not festival was March fifteenth, twenty nineteen. So this could be up for foreign. Yeah, yeah, it could. I 
doubt it, China right now in the film department is just chock full of amazing talent and amazing movies that are coming out. Like there's three off the top of my head without even looking at it that you could you could send over as like best uh, for like the Academy Award. But it I, it could be. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. Fair enough. But it's an amazing movie. I strongly suggest it. It's a movie that, like, again, another one of my movies where I just spent so much time just thinking about it and the world and Zhao Tao, her character, just so much and what it's supposed to represent. And apparently to him, it's supposed to represent China, like actual China. She's supposed to be her. And, you know, there's a lot of metaphorical stuff into it. You can read a lot of interviews. When did you first see this? I saw it. At the same place I saw Parasite, Cinema 21, downtown Portland, Oregon. I saw it as part of the International Portland Film Festival. Oh, very uh, cool. Uh, I told my girlfriend, hey, we should get there early because I don't want to be late. And she's like, get to a movie early. And when we got there, there was a line <laughs> forming. They, and she was like, I'm, I'm going to say this. They have no respect for getting there early, do they? No. No, no, they don't. Neither don't of know. our, neither of our, no, no, it's fine. No, they need to know. But <laughs> yours listens, mine doesn't. Yeah, Naomi, you need to know. And so do you, Brielle. She'll never hear it. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, you and I are so like, I want to be there 45 minutes early. I'm and not like, like why? I want to be there. I'm What's never that? like, I want to be there 45 minutes early, but I am like, I want to be there early. I want to be there. Yeah, I want to be there early enough to be able to comfortably get something if I want to get something and sit down in a seat that I chose, not because it has to be something that I had to pick. I have gotten a lot less choosy with where I sit in movies. This is a fucking uh-huh. tangent upon tangent, but I've gotten a lot less choosy. I used to be like only towards the back, and now I'm like, you know what? I kind of like the middle. Like, I kind of like like really close. I'm either on the bar in the front row before you get to the down there seats. What do you call it? And the middle's fine. I don't like the very back. I'm glad that we are both part of the very back gang. Sucks. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's it's a little too far. But yeah, the middle the middle's just right. Anyway. Yeah. Ashes Pure is White, really well done. I, I saw it at home. Tyler Tyler told me to watch this, and you know what? I'm glad I did. What would you pair this with? That's a hard question. I you know what? Fuck it. I'd pair it with another 2019 movie. That's not really from 2019, but it's from 2019 because it was released here in 2019, so 2018 when it was released in its other country. And that is from China as well. Long Day's Journey into Night. Oh, and they even rhyme too. Mm-hmm. Step oh, right up and see Ashes Pierce White, then stick around for a long day's journey in tonight. I don't know why he's a 1950s carnival barker, mm-hmm. but um, that's who you have working outside of your outside of your cineplex to get him in there. They don't really relate to one another, and they're kind of opposites in who they're about and why. But I really like both of them, and I want more people to see both of them because I want to be able to talk to people about both of them. Fair enough. Well then, it sounds like. You have got about three minutes to talk to them about this if you want. You can, of course, yield your time. And that timer begins in three, two, one. You should see this. And the reason it deserves to be on here is just there's this small section after she gets out of jail where she's on a boat and she talks to a woman and then finds out that that woman has stolen her phone. And it is one of the most panic-inducing it's one of the most just like sad and like heartbreaking things because she thinks that she's relating to someone and then that person would stab them in the back like that and or tries to track that person down and outside of a thriller or theat like 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 really tense movie it is one of the few time few times I've ever been in a movie that's like this type of movie that's really slow and very like 
methodical where I just felt like a knot in my throat, like just like or in my stomach, just like my heart pounding. Like I hope that like she catches to this person because like it's basically all she has left. It's her only way to contact this other person that she knows. On top of that, I don't know if there's really any other movies like this one. And there's not really a filmmaker like the director. And I think that that is important to like signal out. And when you find something like this to like tell other people about and try and expose it to a wider audience, that'll be my time for the most part. I really do love this movie. I can't wait to rewatch it. I'll probably watch it again relatively soon because I just I really need to rewatch it. Well, that takes us on to my number three. A movie from 2016 that I would see in 2017 at the beginning of the year. This movie would be a movie that I would go into with my father, some popcorn, a couple of sodas, and two pieces of cannabis-induced chocolate. The only other people who were in the movie with us was an old woman who about 15 minutes in got up and left. Maybe because she didn't like it. Maybe because something struck a chord in her. I don't really know what. All I can tell you is this is one of the most affecting movies I have ever seen on a scale of that. It was a movie that I only saw with one other person who's very important to me, my father. And very few films I get to do that with anymore because there's usually someone in there. But this was a movie that not only I was excited to see, but was a movie that had taken a long time to come to be. This is the movie that filmmaker and, I'll say it, genius Martin Scorsese has wanted to make for several years. It's a movie that stars Adam Driver, Andrew Garfield, Liam Neeson, along with a predominantly Japanese cast. It's about two priests from Portugal who are in search of their teacher and former mentor who has come to Japan to help convert Christians and... The rumors have slipped back to Portugal that he has not only stopped doing that, but has taken a wife and has denounced God. This is the 2016 film from Martin Scorsese that should have been up for Best Picture along with a laundry list of other things and reminded us why Andrew Garfield is one of the more important actors of his time. This is Silence. Sorry, I've neglected you for some days now, Padre. But I had business in Hirada. I hope you'll get to go there yourself sometime. Sure, it's very beautiful. There is an interesting story about the daimyo who ruled there. He had four concubines. Four. They were all beautiful. But they... I'm sorry. Maybe this is not a story for a celibate priest. It's all right. Please, go on. In any case, the daimyo's concubines were all jealous, and they fought and fought without end. 
Saw the daimyo of Hirado drove them away from his castle, and peace came into his life again. Do you think this story has a lesson? Yes. That this was a very wise man. I'm glad. That means you understand the daimyo is like Japan. And these concubines are Spain, Portugal, Holland, England, each trying to gain the advantage against the other and destroy the house in the process. Since you say this man is wise, you will understand why we must outlaw the Kirishitan. Well, our church teaches monogamy. One wife. Uh -huh. What if Japan were to choose one lawful wife from the four? You mean Portugal? No. I mean the Holy Church. <laughs> Don't you think it would be better for the man to forget about foreign women and choose one of his own? Nationality is not so important when it comes to a marriage. What matters is love. Love and fidelity. Ah, love. Padre, there are men who are plagued by the persistent love of an ugly woman. Is that what missionary work is to you? An ugly woman? Well... Yes. This is a Martin Scorsese movie starring Adam Driver, Andrew Garfield, Liam Neeson, and in my opinion, one of the greatest robberies of all time, and I hope I'm not butchering this, Izie Ogata, who should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor in the role of the Grand Inquisitor. This is Silence. This is amazing, dude. I fucking love Silence. It's a really good movie. I mean, who would have guessed Martin Scorsese's best movie of the decade was going to be a movie about two Jesuit priests who go to Japan to find their teacher and you would be transfixed for nearly two hours and 40 minutes. His run, by the way. You want to talk, talk about, about like his most recent run, starting with Wolf of Wall Street into silence, into, oh, into oh, fucking hold, the Irish. Hold on a second. Let's, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Let's talk about it from 2010. Shutter Island is a fun movie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching that. Hugo is a fun movie. And, and adorably sweet. But the Wolf of Wall Street silenced well, the well, Irish. What I'm saying is the Wolf of Wall Street I heard on a podcast recently say might be the best comedy of the decade. They might not be wrong. That movie's really good. That movie's really good and also predicted the fucking, fucking shit that we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, it 100% did. And you're right. That leads into the movie Silence and that also leads into The Irishman. I heard you paint Irishman, don't they? What? By the way, guys, you'll have heard this already. I wonder what they thought of our Irishman episode, because we haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I wonder what we're going to think of our Irishman Yeah, Irishman interesting. Episode. But yes, we are talking about silence. The plot is two priests, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield, who are both phenomenal in this movie. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I think 
Andrew Garfield is great in this. Adam Driver is his accent is he's, he's all struggled. over the shop. He is, but I I like Andrew. I like Adam Driver. I do too, but boy. Then I'll sew them together and he'll be Andrew Driver and yeah. Adam Garfield. Oh, I hit him with the Andrew Driver. Yeah. That's boring watch wrestling the whole time. I like the idea that the Andrew Driver is like my finisher and they go, like, if I play a cinematic character and they go, why is that? I go, because it's my love of my favorite duo, the two priests in silence, Adam Garfield and Andrew and Andrew or Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. Together they are Andrew Driver. They go to find their teacher who is played by Liam Neeson. And by the way, I know we're canceling Liam Neeson, but goddamn, is he good for his couple minutes in this movie? I mean, he's he's on cancel watch. If he fucks up again, then it's canceled. Fair enough. <laughs> also, I don't have the power to cancel anybody, but he's definitely on some fucking nice. Oh, you motherfucking! You better not say anything. Just, like, oh. don't do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is what I, this is my biggest problem with all actors. Stop doing anything that isn't acting. Seriously, we don't want to know. I don't need to know your political beliefs. I don't need to know how you feel about certain things. Make movies. <laughs> it's the line from it's the line from Bookman in Seinfeld. The, the old librarian. We didn't know if she had a dating life. We didn't want to know. She was unattractive and old. That's how we liked it. Like, I, I don't need to know about your personal lives, guys. Just fuck off. Stop saying stuff. Just make movies. That's what you're there for. You're being paid a lot of money for something very silly. Anyway, silence. Yeah. <laughs> great, great fucking movie. Great movie. Based on the 1966 novel by Shusaku Endo. It was then turned into a movie in 1971. It was written by the writer of the novel and directed by Misaharo Shinoda. I uh, recommend both of those very much. Almost entirely different in what they're about and the takes that are on uh, about that book and movie are completely different than Martin Scorsese's take. So yeah, that's my that's my that's my little corner. I watched the movie and read the book uh, before this movie, and both are good. And did you you like Silence this movie? Yeah, I like this movie. Yeah, I like yeah. the other movie. I think a little bit more, uh, just because it's closer to the book. Fair um, enough. But I respect what Martin Scorsese is doing. I definitely don't dislike Silence. Yeah, this is this is a solid movie, and I gotta say, man, like. Me and my dad, like, we both had a little bit of pot chocolate that day. And I got to tell you, it transfixed us. Like, but by the time that movie went to credits and that last scene, which is very affecting, goes on, my dad looked at me and goes, that might be one of the best movies I've ever seen. And I said, I don't disagree with you. This is an incredible movie. And the thing is, got no love. Well, it didn't, well, it didn't make any money. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But hey, I appreciate whatever studio decided to say, we're going to take on a movie that's going to be deeply problematic with a lot of people. Paramount. Good for Paramount, man. Good for Paramount. Uh, they give, passed give, on... Give, give him an Oscar. <laughs> they passed on I Heard You Pay an Irishman. Um, Did they really? Yeah, because the, well, the budget's like $150 can, can, can million. I be honest? Can I be honest? I feel like the studio head at Paramount was like, fool me once, Martin Scorsese. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you. Yeah, I can see that because, well, I wonder what we said about the Irishman. <laughs> Did we get uh, into the budget? I wonder. I just said what the budget was right now. It's $150 million, which is too much for a movie. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Apparently. It's a lot. This is an incredible swing that did not go anywhere and honestly should have. Because I'll say this. Andrew Garfield was nominated that year for Heartbreak Ridge. It was for fucking silence. Fuck we all know it. Movie. I know. I mean, it was a big swing which Mars Scorsese hit a home run, but no one was watching. It was a game that was a blowout that no one cared about. 
It's very true. It was already fixed. I, I gotta say, man, the dude who plays the even the dude who plays the interpreter, like you said, is incredible. The guy He's who great. constantly wants to be forgiven. He's so good in the movie, and it's two hours and forty minutes. But fuck, does it work well? I think the interpreter. That's the guy who's like constantly like needling him, right? The one who's like, please hear my sit. No, no, no. That's no, no, no. the. That's the. He's yeah. He's billed as. The guy who's like, please hear, like, is constantly trying to, um, that's, that's, uh, Kicharo. Yeah, that's Kicharo. No, 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 no. The interpreter is, like, the guy who's, like, constantly being, like, that's, you know, that's this person. Like, these are the people that are suffering because you won't apostolate. Like, I think that guy, I think that's, like, one of my favorite roles, uh, one of my favorite performances. They're all really good. It's, and it's, well, and man, it just proves that, like, even if you don't speak the language, you can really get a performance out of someone. Because Mar- these guys are probably all predominantly Japanese-speaking people for the most part. But I man, assume so. But Scorsese really can break that language barrier and gets like incredible performances out of them. Yeah, no, they're amazing performances uh, across the board. Have we talked about the plot at all? We have. It's about two priests who go to Japan to find their former teacher who has apparently denounced God. That's the uh- entire plot. And are met by, I feel like we did not, we feel like we forgot to mention this part, are met by Japanese people who decide to destroy Christianity by torturing Christians. It's a pretty rough it's, go of it. It is, it is a rough go for them, Christians in Japan. I'll tell you um, what, you know how we can maybe correct the Liam Neeson thing? We make a prequel to this where we show all the shit he went through. So we'll be like, oh man, Liam Neeson had a rough go of it too. You know what? I... Whoa constantly think about this movie's portrayal and the book's portrayal of like the crucifying in the water that they did which is a real thing that's a real thing that they would do to people oh yeah that's fucking dark uh Uh, not only that you see a dude's head get cut off yeah no they would the water would slowly erode the the neck area and it would go (laughs) it would go thump martin scorsese dude not not afraid to show not afraid to show a bit of the brutal Dude, the movie, the uh, the seventy one movie has one, a torture sequence that is, I think, absolutely should have been in this, where they bury a guy uh, up to his neck in sand and dirt, and then ride a horse over him. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> I'm never watching this now. You've talked me out of it. That's great. I think it's one of while his wife watches one of the best. Just absolutely Japanese people coming up with the best of tortures. Oh, I'm not. I'm not watching that. That's not what we're pairing this with. <laughs> What would you pair this with? I would pair this with Last Temptation of Christ. If you're going to do a double feature with Martin Scorsese, that's what you should do it with. You could also pair it with Kundun. I've never seen Kundun, so I don't know that. Good movie. I'll be seeing it soon. But yeah, I'll bet it is. (laughs) Most of his are. I would be pairing it with Last Temptation of Christ for sure. It's just, it's kind of the perfect thing. You have three minutes to talk about silence starting in three, two, one. One of the reasons I really enjoyed Silence is because I think it's just a masterfully done movie by a filmmaker who is still in some ways at the top of his game. This is a bold choice for Martin Scorsese to make in the later part of his career, as it seems a lot of his later choices have been A.E. The Wolf of Wall Street and in some ways The Irishman for what it does in terms of that. But we are talking about Silence. The other reason this movie is so effective for me is when and where I saw it. I saw it with my father. We were the only two people in the theater that was deeply affecting. We both got something out of it. It was a movie we talked about for weeks on end. My mom really loves this movie because this movie is, at its core, the third reason I love this movie. This movie is about faith. 
And I, I will fully admit it. I do believe there is something bigger than us out there. Is it God, a man in the sky with a big white beard? I don't know. Was Jesus Christ a real person? I don't know. But I like discussing these things because I think they're interesting. And silence does that. Silence addresses the idea of faith and how far you are willing to go for one's faith. And I, like I said, I believe there is something bigger than us out there. I don't know what. But to have one's faith challenged is always an interesting idea in a movie. And damn, this movie does it really, really, really well. And Andrew Garfield is problematic in a lot of things, i.e. the Spider-Man movies, things like that. But the one thing he's not problematic in is in a movie like this. He is handled so well. He's so good. Yes, Adam Driver's accent is all over the place, but he's second fiddle to Andrew Garfield, and he's really good as well. Liam Neeson, quite good in this movie. All the Japanese actors, really, really good. Everything I've said has been said before, so I'm just going to say, guys, don't sleep on silence. Go watch it. It's arguably one of Martin Scorsese's best movies. Might be in my top four. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm not sure, but man, just a really, really effective movie. That's going to be my time. Silence. 2016, see it. Down to our final two from 2010 from Iranian writer-director Abbas Karasami starring Julie Binoche and William Schimmel. It is, of course, certified copy. Yeah, I already tried to change it. He wouldn't listen to me. And now he's ignoring me completely. So, what's this ridiculous ritual for anyway? Why do, you, why do they even bother to ask us to taste the wine? C'est une convention, tu goûtes, et puis après tu dis c'est bon, voilà. Then the convention's stupid. They pour you a little bit of wine, you're meant to swirl it round and smell it and taste it and look into the corner of the seating and say, oh, perfect. But if it's bad, you've got to say so. Mais faut pas être aussi exigeant. Tu peux, tu peux pas trouver une liste de vins exceptionnels dans une petite uh, trattoria uh, perdue au fin fond de la Toscane. Et puis bon, je sais pas, moi je trouve. Et pas si mauvais que ça, hein, moi, je trouve. Oh, oh, you like it? Mm -hmm. oh, how could I forget? The French know everything about wine and restaurants, right? Fine. You like it? You drink it. C'est complètement fou. Pourquoi est-ce que tu fais ça? Tu peux pas essayer de, de te contenter de ce que t'as au lieu de râler tout le temps? Hein? Tu veux, tu veux pas être là un petit peu Regarder un petit peu autour de toi Sois là I can't believe you just said that. Coming from you. Regarde, ta femme qui s'est faite belle pour toi aujourd'hui. Regarde, ouvre les yeux. This is just not the moment. It's five o'clock. I'm hungry. I need a drink. Bon alors, quand est-ce que c'est le bon moment When is the good moment? Hier soir non plus, c'était pas le bon moment. Quand est-ce que c'est le bon moment? You know, we we didn't do these for this one, but I guess I'm gonna just say this. 
what if before midnight but hopeless? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Ty- Tyler, you said Juliet Binoche is in it. And I really think you also have to reference the fact that William, Sh- did you say William Schimmel? Schimmel, yeah. Okay, so you said he wasn't. Yeah, that's the movie. Juliet Binoche and William Schimmel. It's a real two-hander. Tell us what this is about, Tyler. So it is about two people. James Miller, who is a British writer uh, in Tuscany, who's there to talk about his new, his new book, Certified Copy, which I do have to, to, to state this, which argues that in art, Issues of authenticity are irrelevant because every reproduction is itself an original, and even the original is a copy of another form. That is very important to the, the movie. He meets up with this woman in Tuscany who is only known as she in the end credits, who's played by Juliet Binoche, and they begin talking. And that is the rest of the movie. It's them going to like a coffee shop or cafe, or them going to an art museum, and them debating having conversations, talking, um, and you begin to realize that there's this tension between them that you kind of sort of start to feel it. Like there's like these weird jabs. There's these like facades breaking down. And I do not want to ruin it because I'm assuming a lot of people who listen to the show might not have seen it. And I desperately want people to see it. So there will be a spoiler alert before we talk about what happens. But it really is for all intents and purposes, a Tyler movie through and through. And it's very slow. It's very beautiful looking. Julia Binoche is in it. And if you like Julia Binoche's acting, you'll probably really like this movie. Cause it's a lot of that. So yeah, let's get to your questions. Well, we broke down the Waffle Thin plot. I think we talked about... Let's talk about Julia Binoche for a little bit here. Yeah. I love her in Chocolate. I'm, I'm just kidding. She's quite good in this. Actually, both of them are. And this movie doesn't work if you don't have two really good fronts in this mm-hmm. what else um, do i know william schimmel from he's also in a more oh god that movie's depressing uh, you, I, there's a reason why it's not on my list yeah so i didn't want to have to rewatch a more <laughs> god you it, honestly what would you have had to have kick out 2012 to get a more on there oh from 2000 it would have been oslo you somehow would have dug deeper for a more depressing movie like than Oslo. You would have it would have been more depressing. That yeah. makes Oslo look like a good time. At least there's dancing in Oslo. There is. There's he's in a nightclub for a second. Yeah, at least you're like some people are probably having fun in there. No one's having fun in a more. No one's having fun in a more. So William Schimmel and her are these two people kind of just making their way and she's kind of just showing him the city, right? He's just there for a little bit of time. She's kind of almost playing like his handler, it feels like. It feels like, yeah. It feels like she's uh, like showing her, showing them around, showing her like all of this stuff. Because she lives in Tuscany. She's a French native living in Tuscany, which I believe is Italy. But she speaks French and Italian, and he speaks English and French. They communicate in both languages. So sometimes they're speaking in English, sometimes they're speaking in Italian, sometimes they're speaking in French. But they speak all three languages, and they kind of just like fluently talk between them. Yeah. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, it does. And that's kind of, I think, something that's super important to this is the fact that, like, it is in several different languages. And I think what makes that so effective is you have to kind of, like, be forced to, like, kind of get drawn between these three different worlds almost. Yeah. Yeah. You have, like, many layers. So... 
you have this like the the first layer which is like the them communicating right and then you have the second layer once you start to like realize like what's happening of like the history between them okay spoiler alert we're gonna yeah we are gonna here. spoil this movie right here so you have like this first layer which is like the like very bare bones like of them talking right and then you get this like second layer start to show up of like these debates become more serious you go like wow they're really going hard in the paint for people who are like just meeting (laughs) there is like an odd tenseness to it and what you get is this third layer which is his book which is certified copy which is about like things being a reproduction they're trying to like reproduce or she is at the very least trying to reproduce like their first like their honeymoon and throughout the movie she's beginning to realize that like that will not happen that they've been married for 15 years there's too much history it just it won't work in a way and she decides that the only way for it to like really get back on track is for her to like to literally like bear her soul like throw it all out there and the movie kind of leaves it unclear as to whether or not they can get back together i mean i'll say this no i don't I don't think they do. I don't That'll... think they do either. <laughs> they seem to be at, at odds with one another and at just separate ends of their lives. It's just really sad. Like, uh-huh. it's just, yeah, it's just this really tragic, like, coming to the end of something. Like, you can tell this has been a long time coming. And this is like if you can't pull out of the before midnight tailspin at the end, it, it's fucking over. Mm-hmm. Before midnight, they get to it before it becomes this essentially, which I think would make an interesting pairing with before midnight actually. But I do kind of want to talk about the director, which I don't know if you know anything about. I, uh, I just looked at his filmography. I don't. Tell me about this guy. So he is Iranian. He won the his film A Taste of Cherry. I believe it did. It won the Palme d'Or. Taste Cherry is another really good movie, but like I think a lot like a certified copy where it's a lot of people talking in cars and stuff. So if you if you kind of kept certified copy at arm's length, you may not like it. But I would say like if you did, then if you were interested in certified copy, definitely check out A Taste of Cherry. He also did the documentary Close Up, which is probably his most famous film outside of the two that I've just talked about. Hmm. He recently passed away in 2016 oh um, kind of out of nowhere so i think this being one of his last works it's, he did th- two other films after this 24 frames which is which was his last one released uh, a year after he died and like someone in love from 2012 which is uh, incredible um, equally as good as certified copy, but I can only put one by one director on this list. That was the rules that we made for ourselves. He's a very important filmmaker, and I think you can count this as my three minutes. It's a very important filmmaker, and I think he did enough this decade to definitely warrant being on a best of the decade list. And the fact that there will never be another movie from him is uh, upsetting. And I definitely think that this is probably the best art film of the decade, like without a doubt. And at the very least deserves me, a person who loves art film, like a shout out from that because this movie's great. And I rewatched it 
to make sure that it should fit on this list. And I was only going to watch like the first couple of minutes and then I just got sucked right back into it because it's just so good. And when and where did you first see it? I first saw it randomly like on one of those, like the movie channels, like one of those extra ones. It was just like, Hey, this is, this was playing or I, it was just playing on TV at late at night. And I watched it like right after it came out, like 2012. So I was like in high school and I was absolutely blown away by it. I was a little snob film geek back then. And yeah, I was I was blown away. It's the reason I randomly like bought like Someone in Love after he died, because I just wanted to watch it. It was the reason why I probably will watch at one period of time like all of his movies. Okay. Well good. Well then I'll I'll do this too. What would you pair this with? That's hard. I th- you kind of were on to something with Before Midnight. I'm not sure if it would make the best pairing because there people might come in not knowing that seeing the other two Before movies. What would you put first is my question if you had to put those two together. Maybe Before Midnight and then like crash him with the certified copy as like, It's kind version. of it's kind of a one two punch. You're the like, "Oh, problem... that first couple made it out of it. This couple will be fine." Yeah, the problem is certified copy is such a sleepier movie. <laughs> I feel like you'd get people like falling asleep, which the director, Abbas Kurosami, was a fan of. He constantly was on record saying that if a movie put him to sleep, that he was connecting with it on a different plane, which is a very interesting way of looking at it. If not, if you just want to do two of his, like Someone in Love, it's not dealing with similar similar films, but it's a movie he made right after this. It's set in Japan with an all-Japanese-speaking crew. It actually has a crossover with Silence, with uh, I think his name is Ryo Casey is one of the actors. He's a main character and like someone of love. He has a small part in silence. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That leads me on to my number two, I guess, huh? 2010 started this decade and this sat at the top of the decade list for a long time. And it would take, it would take five years for something to knock this off. And what knocked this off was something that we will get to eventually, but At one point, there was one filmmaker who I thought was, like, the best working filmmaker. And in some ways, I still do. And I I think it's a shame we haven't gotten something from him in nearly five years. It's going to be longer than that. And that filmmaker's name was David Fincher. And at the start of the decade, he would make a movie that I think is not only super important because of how well it's done, but I think it's super important for what this movie documented and what this movie, yes, it's it, there's a lot of stuff wrong with it. And yes, it's embellished a lot and that's fully understood. But this movie also connected about the way we interact with people as a society now. And it kind of was weirdly ahead of that. And this would be the 2010 film from David Fincher starring Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield once again making his way onto this list, Justin Timberlake, Rooney Mara, and a host of other people. And I'll say this too, the first time I ever heard about this movie, I was on IMDb and I clicked on David Fincher's upcoming projects and it simply read, Untitled Facebook Project. And I clicked on that and it said, a movie about the start of Facebook and the rise of it. And I thought to myself, oh, David Fincher, you've jumped the shark. No one's going to want to see a movie about that. How boring and how wrong I was because in 2010, he would bring us a movie that I think defined an era that we are living in and still living in and where we are and how we communicate as people. This is The Social Network. When we met in January, I expressed my doubts about the site, where it stood with graphics, how much programming was left that I had not anticipated. The lack of hardware we had to deal with, site use, the lack of promotion that would go on to successfully launch the website. This was the first time you raised any of those concerns, right? I'd raised concerns before. Bullshit. Not to us. Gentlemen, I'm talking about at the meeting in January to which this letter is referring. Yeah. Let me rephrase this. 
You sent my client 16 emails. In the first 15, you didn't raise any concerns. Is that a question? In the 16th email, you raised concerns about the site's functionality. Were you leading them on for six weeks? No. Then why didn't you raise any of these concerns before? It's raining. I'm sorry? It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition, and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? I have 12.45. Why don't we say that's lunch? Back at 2.30. So who else, aside from the people that you mentioned, are in this crew? I mean... Did you, did you mention who it was written by? Oh! Oh my god, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, I think there's one that you're forgetting about. You know what? And the reason, the reason we will talk about it... Actually, he's perfect to come in on. This is an Oscar-winning movie as well. This won three Oscars. It won Best Achievement in Music Written for a Motion Picture by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Haunting fucking score, by the way. Best Achievement in Film Editing. Really well-edited movie, especially considering you know what David Fincher had these people do to get the performances he did. And more importantly, before you can have a movie, you have to have a script. Oscar winner Best Writing for an Adapted Screenplay from a book called The Accidental Billionaires. Aaron fucking Sorkin wrote this. And I got to tell you, man, Aaron Sorkin may be his best written script. Yeah, sure. I, okay. I have a confession. I don't like no, Sorkin. That's, that's I don't fair. like his scripts. I don't like the way he writes. <laughs> this movie's kind of more of that, sadly. I really do think Fincher is like at the top of his game with this movie. And I think mm-hmm. him visually, or like not, maybe not visually, but him, like his like directing of the actors and like, where he's putting the camera and like just how engrossing the movie is, does kind of fit with Aaron Sorkin. But, like, there are moments where I'm just like, fuck, fuck off. Like, get out of here. Like, I just can't do it with him. I never have been able to, and I'm very... It it leaves me out of a lot of conversations. Well, but I think what maybe makes up for the Sorkin shortcoming, as it sounds like you're calling it, is how good David Fincher is doing in this movie. Yes. So this movie is about a man whose name no one knew at a certain point, but now everyone knows. This is a movie about the guy who created Facebook, and Jesse Eisenberg plays Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm going to say it right now, Tyler. We talked about before Oscar travesties, and my number one certainly has that on it as well, but I don't think there is any bigger travesty than the social network and how it was treated at the 2010 Academy Awards. The 83rd Academy Awards? Is that correct? You are really good at that, by the way. Thank you. Mental math. Yeah. yeah that's See, it. the very first one, 1928, I believe. So you can just, like, add and subtract. Oh. Yeah. Is that, that how you do it? I want to get into this because this is kind of my big gripe. The King's Speech took home Best Picture and Best Director. No. No. 
fucking no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will say this. It is Tom Hooper's best movie. That is 100% true. I like The King's Speech. I think The King's Speech is very, very good. But The King's Speech did not capture a moment in time that we are still experiencing the way Social Network did. You're right. This movie is about how we act as people today. This movie called the addiction to technology that we are in today. I think it also called the sexist, <laughs> the yeah. sexist ego, egotists who will uh, fucking destroy all of us. Looking at you, Zuckerberg. <laughs> You're not wrong. This is the rise of a certain type of person in this country who built an empire off the backs of addiction, which is what this movie is. This, And also stealing from other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fucking over people no matter what the cost. Even um, if that person is your best friend. And I'll say this, Colin Firth winning for the King's Speech. I, I totally get it, but dude, Jesse Eisenberg is giving the career performance as Mark Zuckerberg. I am glad that he's in this movie and I'm glad he got paid for this movie because it allowed him to do a lot of weirder stuff. I think with without this well i mean he does now you see me and stuff like that and cafe society but he does like louder than bombs and a lot of like smaller indie movies i mean the Um, art of self-defense i've seen 10 minutes and i'm fascinated that looks good i think this actually coming off the back of zombie land allowed him to do stuff like like night moves which is a movie by the director that we'll talk about in my number one or the end of the tour louder than bombs american ultra is a bad movie but like you know it's smaller a weirder project for him like i really do like that he does like really weird weirder stuff he's not a guy you can pin down he isn't i think for a period of time they were like maybe he's a leading man and then he was like no nah, i'm a character actor <laughs> yeah no more no more apparent than yeah i mean he quite literally and but he's but he's incredible in this and fincher not only gets a good performance out of him he gets a good performance out of every single person in this movie. Uh, you're right. I can't. Well, I, mm, well, yeah, no, you're right. Who, who um, did you want to say? I hate Justin Timberlake, but, that's, okay, but he, but, he uses but, his, his shittiness against him. This is the best handled Justin Timberlake. Anyone's ever been able to handle him as an actor. It's the best Justin Timberlake performance because David Fincher recognizes that everyone should hate Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That dude was born on third without hitting a triple. Like what the fuck? Justin Timberlake fucking sucks. His music's bad. He's garbage. And I'm glad he's in the gutter. And um, you know what's weird? He's weirdly so likable in Inside Lewin Davis. He is. He, but second, he does... best, second best handled performance of Justin Timberlake ever. But Yeah. You're not All wrong. Right, that's it. But Do he's it. only in the movie that's for like five it. seconds. We're doing a Justin Timberlake Mount Rushmore. No. <laughs> <laughs> that means Alpha Dog's going to be on a Mount Rushmore. <laughs> no, it's not. How dare you? It might be. But this is about the early years of the starting of Facebook. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, shit, dude. I saw this open. Can I tell you want to know how you can tell this is number two? I saw this opening night at like one in the afternoon, left and came back like four hours later with friends and rewatched it. Damn. I was behind this movie from the moment it came out or the moment I saw it to like up till Oscars when it got denied everything. This should have been David Fincher's year. If they were ever going to do it, this should have been it. This is everything you want in like a best picture movie. He has never won an Oscar. Nope. nope, he hasn't. Yeah, he got nominated for *Curious Case of Benjamin Button*, which uh, that's that's essentially winning an Oscar because that movie's fucking garbage. 
I have a case for the serious case or the serious case. Oh, uh, we have to do a podcast episode called Ben has a case of the serious case of the Benjamin Button. <laughs> I'm dying, Tyler, in reverse. <laughs> what do you call it? No, I have a case for the serious. God damn it. I have a case <laughs> for the curious case of Benjamin Button, which is if you cut out all the old woman scenes, that movie's actually really good. It's on Criterion. What is? Kimmy's case of Benjamin Button. That's good. It, it has I maintain a, it has a Criterion all, DVD. I maintain if you cut out all the old woman scenes, it's actually a pretty good movie. I haven't watched it since it like came out, so we'll see. We watched that in a theater on Christmas Eve because we had to dry run everything, so we dry ran that movie, and we all just smoked in the theater while we watched it. He's only ever won one Academy Award. Which is? Or had a movie. When, uh, oh, wait, no, he won... Three for the social network and three yeah. for the curious case of Benjamin Button. But he was the only other one is editing for Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I want to talk about another movie that's seriously underrated in this decade. Okay. So, yeah, just all that's best art direction and stuff. I David, don't think he's ever, he's ever won director, has no, he? No, never has. And this should have been the movie to do it. This should have won picture and director. It should have won actor. And this is great. I, I love this movie. Really, I think the Academy didn't think there wasn't going to be another like David Fincher home run i mean he came out with two more in the decade and, and but both of those are sense. great movies but they're I, not this. i mean one of them is very good and the other one is the girl with the dragon tattoo I like girl with the dragon tattoo it's fine it's not as good as the Norwegian oh. swedish one. Oh, i see we're in disagreement i i think fincher comes in and masterfully adapts that thing see here's the thing is like you really love fincher i, I do i am do. kind of lukewarm to a lot of fincher stuff i mean i love zodiac What's... don't get me wrong Oh, Zodiac um, is probably the best, one of the best movies of the last decade. I do be loving some Zodiac, and I do be loving... Why isn't Director the first thing that's pulled up? What are we doing? Right? I know. I do love Zodiac, and I do really love... Not Seven. There's another Fight. one I really love. Fight Club? Uh, Fight Club I like. I, like, I do actually kind of like Fight Club thinking about it. I really do love, like, like, Gone Girl, I think. I do really need to rewatch it. But those two are really, like, the ones that I think are my favorites of his. I haven't seen Panic Room since it came out, and I haven't seen The Game. I might actually love the game. The, game, the like game. the game is a lot of fun. He's another one who I think needs to be in contention for a, a Mount Rushmore, because I think that'd be an interesting talk. He needs to be a one who makes more movies. <laughs> I, th I think he likes going to Netflix. I mean, did you hear the other thing he's working on for them? He's working on a, like a Chinatown, a China, yeah, a Chinatown prequel? Prequel, yeah. Is it a movie wild? or is it a TV show? It's a, it's a series. It's like a 10-part series. Get out of here with that. Dude. He has another thing coming up that's announced called called Mank about Joseph Mankiewicz, apparently. <laughs> that's been announced. It has no dates. But apparently it's been, it filming began in November, so. Mankiewicz. He's the writer of Citizen Kane. Not ah, not the ah. Mankiewicz who directed All About Eve. Joseph Mankiewicz, uh, the, the, the older brother, Herman, who wrote Citizen Kane. I have no idea what it's about. That's it. That's the only thing it's got. I was so. thinking of a famous Nazi whose name kind of sounds like that. And I was like, and I was like, oh, no, like he, he's making a Nazi movie. This is going to be amazing. But this is also interesting. This is going to this might be the movie he does to win picture. If if you get wow, Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz. Interesting. I don't know. It looks like it might be a disaster, but Netflix is behind it. We'll see. I, I believe in Fincher. I fully believe in that man. Like I said, I saw this first night. I, I think we've given the plot and everything. I mean, this is about Mark Zuckerberg's first years with Facebook coming to prominence and becoming a thing in everyone's life. Uh, what would you pair it with? <sighs> That's a great question. 
there really has never been another movie like this. I have a galaxy brain idea. Um, can I, can I, can I say, can I say this? You want, you want my funny answer? Yeah. What's your fun answer? I pair it with jobs and force them to watch jobs after it. (laughs) Everyone who gets up will be shot. You're watching jobs. The doors have been locked from the inside. Enjoy Ashton Kutcher's performance. I'll be up here watching the social network again on a laptop with headphones on with my back turned to the auditorium. You knew what you signed when you came in here. You want to hear my galaxy brain idea? I actually do. Wolf of Wall Street. Ooh, that's not bad, actually. I actually really like that. It's a long night because it's fucking five hours, but Although, say what you will, this movie's not long. This movie's two hours. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the other movie's really long. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, and the reason it's so quick is, I mean, you heard that this was a 160-page script. Mm-hmm. And that he apparently had them speak super fast to get it all in. Mm-hmm. Not a genius, man. Like, <laughs> Fincher's, Fincher's an amazing filmmaker. He was like, hey, guys, you guys want to watch a bunch of screwball comedies? And then just talk like that. I think it kind of works, man. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I will say this. The scene where Jesse Eisenberg is is in the deposition and she goes, so at this point you had given $18,000 to Mr. Zuckerberg. And he goes, hold on, hold on. just want to check your math. 17 plus 1,000. Yep, I got the same thing. Is so funny. Eisenberg is really good at being a prick in this movie. He really makes you just want to punch that guy in the face. Yeah, you do. And I'll say this too, and Tyler, this is going to be the last thing I'm going to say on it. If you actually want to start the three minutes, because I actually don't want to do myself. I want to have a discussion with you about this. Um, So if you'll start it for three minutes and we'll go from there. Question I want to pose to you. All right. Three, two, one, starting. Are we ready for a sequel for this movie? I think it actually, yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be cool. I'd I'd really like a sequel. I think you get everyone back. Sorkin, Fincher, Eisenberg, Garfield. I don't think you need the Winklevoss twins in there, which is a shame. But I think you need to make what's going on in Facebook right now. You can bring in, what, Susan Susan Young? Is that who plays his wife? Who plays his future wife? Or plays the guy who breaks up, plays the girl who breaks up with... Andrew Garfield? Thank you. She, they, she, they should bring her back somehow because she's great. She's, she's very funny. The scene where she's got Andrew Garfield pinned up against that bathroom stall, and Andrew Garfield realizes that Jesse Eisenberg is probably getting his balls licked by that other girl, and she just whispers in his ear, "I don't care," and you're just like, "Oh my god, you're, you're filthy." And then like she just gets progressively crazier. Especially about, I just want to see Eisenberg do like the deer in the headlights doe-eyed innocent look that zuckerberg did in real life at the hearings that's not bad i do like that idea i mean there's never been a better time for it it's never been more relevant it may or may not have been the reason that like an election got rigged i mean i mean it probably was yeah Uh, i mean shit let's let's just do it let's go balls to the wall write it sorkin yeah write it sorkin film it fincher and do and release it release it october 1st 2020 exactly 10 years to the date you got to get on now, guys. Come on. Yeah. Top, top. They, could, they could get it out. Fincher, I mean, well, no. Fincher's notorious for taking his time. He's a slow, meticulous record. I mean, I think, they, like broke 60, I think, they, I think they broke 63 laptops during that scene. <laughs> Fuck. He's a madman. Remember that one time uh, Robert Andrew Jr. talked about having to pee in a cup because he couldn't get a take right? Anyway, is that our time? Yeah, that, that can be our time. Social Network, go see it. Do go see it. Then we are going to head to your number one, Tyler. All right. My number one from 2016, directed by Kelly Record, is Certain Women. I don't know if that's your horse out back. It is. Did he get some water? 
Sure. Thank you. Truck breakdown? Nope. Truck's all right. Afraid of selling shoes. Have you ever sold shoes? I mean, why were you afraid you couldn't get anything else? I don't know, because my mom works in a school cafeteria, my sister in a hospital laundry, so selling shoes is the nicest job a girl from my family's supposed to get. It all worked out. See, I'm a lawyer with a wonderful job driving all the way to Belfry every 15 minutes until I lose my mind. And it's, it's 10 o'clock. I'm not going to be home until 2 o'clock. And there's roaming cows in the road. Black ice just outside of Edgar. If I get through that, there's a roadblock just outside of Livingston. Then I get to sleep for five hours, take a shower, go to work at eight, do a bunch of crap nobody else wants to do, and learn some more school law tomorrow night, leave work early the next day, and drive all the way back here with my eyes twitching. It's nice of you to bring the horse. Can you take me back to my car? Kelly Reichard, tell us about this woman and tell us who's in certain women. So Kelly Reichard is an American independent filmmaker. Other movies that she's made are Night Moves, the aforementioned Night Moves with Jesse Eisenberg, Meek's Cutoff, and and Wendy and Lucy starring Michelle Williams. Certain Women stars Laura Dern, Kristen Stewart, Michelle Williams, Lily Gladstone, James LaGrasse, and Jared Harris. It takes place in Montana and is based off the short stories of Malay Malloy collections, Half in Love and Both Ways is the only way I want it. It's three short kind of collected into one movie that all take take place in a small Montana town. The first one, the Laura Derns one, it's an attorney, Laura Wells, dealing with a disgruntled client who decides to take hostages, brings a gun to work, takes some hostages, and she has to talk him down. The second one is about a married couple and their teenage daughter, trying to build a new home and the third one and the one i think is the standout of the bunch is a a woman on a ranch going to night school and her having a crush and falling in love with the teacher of a law class named beth played by kristen stewart absolutely one of the best independent movies of the decade i think the director, Kelly Reichard, is a special talent and someone who I follow very closely. I'm very excited. She has a new movie coming out. And I'm, uh, yeah, I can't wait. And this movie, when I watched it, I got so, I meant to just watch like the first couple minutes to make sure that the file was working, was running. I got so engrossed that I accidentally missed work. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I got called in. They're like, hey, uh, you're going to come to work today. And my friend had to drive me to work I was super quick. Very funny. But yeah, start you know questions. You know, it's funny. I looked at her filmography. I've seen like a good chunk of her stuff. Yeah. Meek's cut the off only... and night moves are Oh no, I'm I'm talking I'm talking about old joy and yeah. Wendy and Lucy. 
Wow. I've not seen Meek's cutoff or night moves. Those are the two I haven't seen. And of course the remake to first reformed, but it stars a cow first cow out in 2019. That's the, that's the new one. Uh, that's coming. It's, it's going to be 2012. So look oh, for it on the 20 best of 2012 list. Cause it's not out yet. Um, but old joy is a bummer and, and great, but Wendy and Lucy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Wendy and Lucy talk about a sad movie. Oh yeah. My dad loves Meek's cutoff. Meek's cutoff is great. It's really bad. I haven't bad seen movie. it. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at Night Moves as well. Interesting. So we've talked about who's in it. I'm gonna first say we're gonna quickly go through each of these ones. Laura Dern. This is a career best performance for Laura Dern. It's I would say it it parallels her Twin Peaks 2017 performance. Yeah, that's certainly great as well. I mean, she plays. I mean, and I'll say this too. Has the be- if you were gonna have to nominate a lead in this, I would give it to Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. She spends the most time on camera. The second story, Michelle Williams. I'm not a big Michelle Williams fan, but I wish she would have won for this instead of Manchester by the Sea. I agree with you. And Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart has come around. I have come around on Kristen Stewart because I didn't realize that Kristen Stewart was really good at acting. She's just really terrible in those Twilight movies because everyone's really terrible. I've come to the realization, Twilight is a bad movie. The people in it are not bad. Mm-mm. Even the director is not bad. I don't what I don't know what was happening with Twilight, but like I like that director. She did Lords of Dogtown, which is a great movie. <laughs> we'll never talk about Twilight. No, the only thing I have wrong with this movie, Jared Harris feels very miscast. You're not wrong. Good lord, I um, like Jared Harris, but he kind of feels. I don't know. It's a it's, it's just, a weird it's, character. It's out, of pla- it's out of place. I think you said you saw this. You were late to work. So yeah, I it it didn't come out in Reno where I was living at the time, obviously, because IFC Films sucks and doesn't ever release their movies into theaters, into mass markets, but whatever. That's beside the point. So I had a copy on my laptop, and I opened it to make sure that it worked, and it did work, and I watched, like, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I got to the Michelle Williams stuff, and then I got a phone call from my boss being like, you're going to make it to work today? And I was like, oh, (laughs) Oops. And so I watched it in two parts and then almost immediately watched it again in one, as one whole movie. It is incredible. I absolutely love this movie. It was probably my best of that year. If I look back in the records, uh, 2016, it, you know, right up there with, I think Moonlight was also that year. No, it was 2016. Yeah, it's, it's a, I absolutely. I, I think the ending crushes me every time I watch it. It's beautiful, and I think Kristen Stewart's and Lily Gladstone are, like, two of my favorite performances of the decade. And Lily Gladstone plays the Native American woman, correct? Yeah, she plays, uh, I believe, Jamie. Is she Native American? She is, right? Yes, she's of Blackfeet and Nez Perce heritage. And she'll be in her new movie, First Cow. Yeah, I think Lily Gladstone was, like, had only ever acted in, like, two other movies, and, like, were really small parts, and auditioned for the rancher character and uh i think was really kelly record was really smitten with her she's she's quite good in this movie and she's quite likable and this movie is about just women in day-to-day life it is such a slice of life movie but my god are you just intrigued like i said i think laura dern's gonna be nominated for marriage story this year from everything i'm understanding this is a strong case to give her that give her that nomination based on just a lifetime of work. Laura mm-hmm. Dern is so good in this movie. She kills it in this. And I think all of the main cast really, I mean, other than Jared Harris, as we were talking about, even James LaGrosse as like a small part as like the husband is enthralling, even though he's like not even really there. 
you know what I mean? He's wonderful. The guy who they're buying the land from, Rene Arborjoinus, is so good. Everybody is so good in this. Yeah, this is is a well-acted little drama. It's so good. And yeah, I'm shocked this wasn't more like readily seen by people, but who knows? She might be just one of those filmmakers that takes a long time for her to finally find that audience. I think it's maybe one of those cases. I think it might just be a case of people just uh, this is not a type of film that is available in a mass market, even in like a smaller market. There's a really passionate core fan base around her movies. Like I said, Wendy and Lucy is an absolute like app all killer no filler makes me cry every time i think about it and yeah rivers of river of grass is also a really interesting first film it has steve buscemi's brother in it as we were talking about that one time <laughs> oh yeah the guy who were like oh steve buscemi's not looking good these days is he sick <laughs> steve buscemi looking a little weird is there are there any there any other uh... what would you what would you pair this with and then i want to hear your final three minutes and you tell me when you're ready to do that oh, that's really hard Maybe like I maybe go with another one of her films, Wendy and Lucy, and just have a real downer night. Although, yeah, I just have a real downer night. My final three minutes. Yeah, they will begin in three, two, one, go. The original last story uh, was originally. It's in a. It's in. I read the short story. I read the, what they're based off of. That's how much I like this movie. It was called Travis, and it was originally about a guy, and. The director, Kelly Reichert, was talking to a fellow director, Todd Hayes, who's best known for Carol and Poison and a bunch of other queer films, uh, was talking to her and basically assured her that she should make it gay and change the character to Jamie because it kind of changes the meaning of what the, the last little film's about. And there's something about that and just about like the longing and like sadness in that character and like the longing and, and sadness and all of these characters in this like small Western town that as someone who grew up in a small Western town feeling similar feelings, I could really relate to it still strikes a nerve thinking about it, talking about it. I think it does the thing that like cinema should do, which is like puts you in the shoes of someone else and makes you understand their world. And it's a real weapon of empathy to make you like kind of like understand how other people feel in the world and their viewpoint in the world. And if that isn't enough for you to watch something like this, then I don't know if you'll ever want to watch something like this, because I think it's one of the most painful and beautiful portraits of what it feels like to be in a, in a small town and like to kind of like have things not go your way. Or to have things go your way, or to, you know, be like that. I don't know. It's just, it's, talking about it makes me want to watch it again immediately. So, I'm glad I was even able to talk about it, because it's a movie I've had on my my mind for the past four years. If there could possibly be a joint number one, I feel like it would be your number one. Really? So, yeah. Oh. If, if you're ready, then... He's, he's being so sweet, ladies and gentlemen, and this is where we'll come in with my intro. A Tyler texted me and said, he goes, man, if you had not put that movie where it is. I, I would be having that on my list. I said, I understand and I appreciate that. And most people don't know this, but May 15th, 2015 was a big moment in filmmaking. And people asked him what happened there. And I have to tell you, May 15th, 2015, I can remember two things very specifically, and this is going to make Tyler laugh, so I don't know if his mic is muted or not. But that day, 
I went with my girlfriend at the time, soon to be wife, Brielle. And we sat down and we saw two movies. First, we went into a little film called Pitch Perfect. And Pitch Perfect is very cute, very adorable. It's about girls who sing in an acapella group and all that. And after that, we were going to go home, but I said, hey, I really want to go see this other movie. And we went and we sat down and the lights dimmed. And for the next two hours, we were treated and taken back to a world that only one man could bring us. And that is a director who at the age of, I believe, 76, brought us one of the greatest films, not only from standpoint of performances, not only from the standpoint of the ideas, not only from the standpoint of how he pulled this off at the age of 76. George Miller brought us a movie starring Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron about simply driving in one direction for half the movie, turning around and driving in another direction. And it's the most entertaining movie because at its simple premise, it's a movie about being chased and chasing someone. This is 2015's best movie of the decade, in my opinion, Mad Max Fury Road. My name is Max. My world is fire and blood. Why are you hurting these people? It's the oil, stupid. Oil wars. We are killing for gasoline. The world is actually running out of water. Once, I was a cop, a road warrior searching for a righteous cause. The terminal freakout point. Mankind has gone rogue, terrorizing itself. Thermal nuclear skirmish. The earth is sour. Our bones are poisoned. We have become half-life. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Me, or everyone else. Hello? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Here they come again. Max Worming their way into the black matter of my brain. Help us, Max. You promised to help us. tell myself they cannot touch me they are long dead I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead hunted by scavengers haunted by those I could not protect exist in this wasteland. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. I mean, Tyler, what do, what do you say? Like, what do you say about, like, the perfect movie? I have seen this movie when it came out. I saw it. I, I saw this movie Four times. I yeah. went and saw it in IMAX. I went and saw it in IMAX. Oh, uh, you lucky dog. I've never seen it in IMAX. My girlfriend and I bought a martini, the, like a dirty martini. <laughs> Got shwasted. And I was like, wow, that movie fucking rules. And she was like, wow, that movie fucking rules. And then I took my friend to go see it. I kind of fell asleep in the middle of it, but I was still like, man, that movie fucking rules. 
And then I took my family to go see it. And we saw it at the fucking $4 theaters. I saw this movie May 14th, 2015, the night before we we'd had someone had to watch to make sure it was built right. I did it. I was there till three in the morning, worth every fucking second of it. I saw it the next day with my wife. We would then I would then go see it by myself a third time. The fourth time we went to see it, we went to the Galaxy Theater. It was not in the IMAX screen, but we got there. We stood in line. I said to everyone else, I said, none of you have seen this. Go in. I will get snacks. Everyone give me money later. I get up to the guy at the counter. I say, do you have pretzels? He goes, yeah, we have a regular pretzel, and then we have a giant pretzel. I'm like, how big is the giant pretzel? And he goes, it's about the size of a steering wheel. And I said, I'm going to tell you right now, son. You better not be lying to me because I'm going to Mad Max, and I would love to have a pretzel the size of a steering wheel. And I opened up that box, Tyler, and he was not wrong. That pretzel was the size of a damn steering wheel. And I got to tell you, I was riding that pretzel shiny and chrome all the way through Mad Max the fourth time. I watched this movie a couple weeks ago. This movie does not age poorly in any sense. This movie is as entertaining the first time as it is the second time. The first act and the second act are equally as good. And that third act. Whew. Oh, God, so good. I have cried in five movies. This is one of them. Actually, six now with that fucking Paddington movie. And I didn't cry in this for the same reason I cried in Paddington. I cried because this is just, this is what filmmaking should be. Such a simple premise put onto canvas the way it needs to be. I mean, as a person who cries in movies a lot, I, every time I've watched this, I have cried at the same precise moment. Without which, fail. Which, mo- which moment is it? Because I wonder if it's the same one. It is when they they meet with Furiosa's, not her family, but like the uh, other women from her tribe. And she realizes that like her like place that she's been looking for was has been completely wiped out and it doesn't exist anymore. And like th- the shot of her like in the sand and like the sand dunes and like the like wind blowing and she screams. And, and, she, like, and it's, her cut arm out by the, it's cut out by the music too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that moment every time, even thinking about it just a little bit, <laughs> fucks me up. <laughs> and I for me, it. it's it's the scene after they've taken a Morton Joe down, and someone else is driving, and Furiosa is like slowly bleeding out. And it's there's just this, and say what you will, say what you will about Tom Hardy, he's had a very interesting decade as an actor. The moment where Tom Hardy punctures her lungs so she can breathe again, but she's also like bleeding out. So they transfer blood into her. Also, nice touch him being a universal donor and that kind of being the way they do it. And the moment where he looks at her and there's been this real interesting tension between them the whole movie. And he just simply says very quietly, he goes, Max. He goes, my name is Max. And it's just heartbreaking because he has not trusted anybody the entire movie. And it's in this one moment that he knows the thing that's going to help her make it is just by showing like, look, you've earned my trust. This is a terrible world that has come to be. And he goes, I trust you now. I I see you as a friend. I see that you are a person who is good. And he goes, he lets her in with just that symbol on. He goes, And he just kind of holds her head in her and it's so beautifully done. This movie is a movie about a woman taking other women away from a giant warlord in a post-apocalyptic future. And yet the movie is about, like the movie is about so much more than that. Well, yeah, I mean, also a movie, like, this movie was like called it about 
about the like abuse of power. Well, I mean, didn't call it. It was just speaking truth to power about like abuse of power by old white men. Hmm. Who? Who's who's the old white guy that's bad? Any? Not a Morton Joe. He just wants his stuff back. <laughs> yeah. Hugh Keys burn as a Morton Joe. Oh is, my god. Like I will say this: the name of Morton Joe has now worked its way into my vocabulary. Like the top of my Twitter reads, "I'm the Morton Joe of Mario Kart." This movie boasts just one of the craziest premises that works of all time. And you know what it is? You know why it works? Because George Miller knows what movie he can make really well, and that's a Mad Max movie. My favorite thing is he was like one of the main villains in the first Mad Max movie. He is, yeah. And they brought him back. He's so good. Does that mean that that Mad Max Fury Road, like I think the Mad Max movies kind of all take place in their own different universe. (laughs) I think the only two that might be connected are the second one and the third one. But I feel like all the other ones are like very different. Like this one is is significantly different than than all of the other ones what i like about this is is i can buy this is in the this is in the same universe it's just so much time has passed it's gotten so much worse Mm. like seriously Mm. thunderdome looks like a pleasure resort in comparison to fury road i mean fucking the second movie is really the second movie for how big it is and how how much of a cultural touchstone it is is still as dirty and gritty as the first movie oh yeah the first movie's dark Oh, yeah. No, the first one has child murder in it. Yeah. Let's get into this. There is what appears to be three big factions in this world of a Morton Joe, the Bullet Farmer, and the Eater of People who run these three, like, gangs out in the desert. They control everything, and they kind of trade between the three of them. The movie opens on a Morton Joe's best driver, who is played by Charlize Theron, who plays a one-armed like shaved head mechanic named Imperior Furiosa, who is driving his big war rig to go pick up supplies from the other two. And then you find out 10 minutes into the, by the way, movie does not waste your fucking time. You are on this journey for the entire time. And you find out that she's actually taken all of his women that he's keeping as slaves to try to breed with. By the way, Morton Joe, gross. <laughs> Terrible guy. Glad no, 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 no. Physically gross. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know we're not supposed to look at people and say, ew, disgusting, but fuck you, Morton Joe. Ew, disgusting. Those women had to be climbed onto by a Morton Joe. And that, I give all those women, like, I don't know. China. They can all have China. But Morton Joe finds out that Furiosa has stolen these women to take them away to free them. And the movie is about him chasing them, while at the same time, there being this guy, played by Tom Hardy, who was played by Mel Gibson in the first movies, Max, who finds them at some point and is being chased. The whole movie is them being chased one way, turning around and being chased the other way. That's the premise of this movie. I'm just now realizing that one of like the like one of the muscle for Morton Joe is fucking Nathan Jones. <laughs> yeah, he plays Rictus Erectus, one of the greatest names of all time. He's good in this movie. He sucks as a wrestler. Oh, he does, but he is so good in this. I had a baby brother, and he was perfect. Yeah, I mean, what do what do we say? What do we say about this movie? It's it's incredible. It's it's it fucking rules, man. It it absolutely. It's, I mean, it's... I saw this opening day. We both saw this four times. I would pair this with part two of Mad Max: The Road Warrior. No, definitely, yeah. And, I mean, is there anything you want to talk about in particular about this? The structure of the movie is absolutely perfect. It's the, it's, it's actually like one of, if you want to ever study a structure of a, of a film, it is like the perfect one to do. Because like, it like hits all of the marks, it hits it all at the right time, 
that reverses its story by making them go back. It's like literally the perfect movie. I don't know. I, there's nothing. There's no frame I would take out of it. There's nothing wrong with it. It is absolutely incredible. And, and the if, fact that they're able to make it is incredible. And say this did very well at the box office. Yeah. It, and, had, it won like five Academy Awards, all of them oh, for like and design you know, and sound and stuff like that. But you know what? That's actually that's actually a great place to go. What year was that? That was the... Uh, it was the 2006, so it would be the 87th. I think you're right. I'm going to say this. I, I know they did this a couple years earlier for The Shape of Water, but this should have been the year that Mad Max won Best Picture. This was the best movie of that year. Look, I'm not going to disagree with you. And George Miller should have won Best Director. Like, The Revenant oh, is not... Giving, yeah, fuck giving it an angry The Revenant sucks. And also fuck Spotlight. Sorry. And, um, I like Spotlight. It's not give, it to, give it to DiCaprio for actor. That's totally fine. That dude deserves it. Yeah. And you know what? Here, I'm going to say this. Fuck you, Brie Larson. Should have been Charlize Theron. Why? Well, well, okay. Well, all right. Well, I, you know. No, no. I'm sorry. Her performance. Furiosa's performance in that movie is so, like, limited. There's, she doesn't. I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. No, there's not. <laughs> and that works. Like, think is about she, it. Does Tom Hardy say 50 words in this movie? Okay, all right. No, but of, of of the actresses, you can't take out Brie Larson because she wins. You can't take the winner out. I'm sorry. You have to take someone else out, even if you give the win to someone else. Who do you take you... it out? Oh, oh. I mean, seriously, do we even have to say? I mean, Jennifer Lawrence for yeah. fucking, she's, <laughs> fucking she's fucking terrible in it. I mean, I, Charlotte Rampling think... is really good, and so is Sir Ronan, and Kate Blanchett is Kate Blanchett. I'm never going to go after Kate Blanchett. The only um, reason Charlotte Rampling doesn't win is because she she said a very kind of racist thing uh, about okay. Oscar So White. So we we're not going to talk about that because I do like Charlotte Rampling. I do like 45 years, but she said a very bad thing, and she should. Yeah, have said. yeah she did. It's not good. That's probably the reason. That's that's her Norbit. That's what yeah. cost her. Yeah, that's what cost for the award. But yeah, Charlize Theron should have been nominated. I wouldn't put up Tom Hardy for actor because I don't think he's in it enough. But the movie is incredible, and it's it's everything you want in a movie. Like it, it it's action, it's drama, it's suspense, and it all takes place almost inside of a fucking cab truck, mm-hmm. like the truck of like a big rig like thing, and it's so great. Here, you know what? You want to start my three minutes? In three, two, one, go. This movie is exactly what I said it is. This movie is what movies should be. It's a movie that not only grabs your attention, you, you don't forget about this movie. It takes you somewhere. It transports you to another world. It leaves you with things that you want to discuss for years to come. This movie came out like fucking five years ago, and I still love this movie. This movie makes me happy. I can put this movie on at any point and watch it from any section, and it's great. The scene where they turn around, I only watched recently the scene where they go back to the Citadel, where the second half of the movie, and it's so good. The women who show up halfway through are so good. The performances of everybody are so wild. And it's because I think George Miller lets them kind of like roam a little bit, but also tells them like, here's the structure you have to stay within. The guy who plays the guitarist, the Doof Warrior, is so good. And we're going to save the last three minutes of me and Tyler just doing, like, dueling a Morton Joe impressions and just doing lines from this movie. I mean, let's start off with, um, Splendid, that is my property! This movie rides you shiny and chrome to the roads of Valhalla. Yeah, sorry, I didn't I didn't know if you actually wanted me to do any lines. No, 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 doing do a Morton Joe impression. We can do uh, a Morton Joe Back and forth. So the scene where Nux is on the side of thing, he goes, am I awaited? I, uh, I will carry you myself through the gates of Valhalla. Do not become addicted to Aquacola. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, by the way, the scene where Amorton Joe, they grab the first girl out of the truck, and Amorton Joe just puts up one finger. <laughs> like, so good. And, I mean, shit, dude, like, what a lovely day became such a great catchphrase. I mean, let's put it this way. If you buy goggles where you drive out in the desert, like, on, on Amazon, at one point, silver spray that you would put on to cupcakes to make them look silver was a thing so you could combine it for a costume. I mean, all the little shit in this movie is just great. Uh, Mad Max, it's the best movie of the decade. No, no argument. No argument for me. Yeah, it's amazing. And, dude, what a, what a fun time. Yeah. You um, know what I remember doing this? What's that? Mark Rylance won for Bridge of Spies, Best Supporting Actor. Good win. Good movie. Oh, that's the year Alicia Vikander wins, too. Yeah. Weird, weird year. Yeah, weird year, it was. Yeah. Fuck you, Spotlight. Yeah, I like Spotlight. Should be nominated, but shouldn't have won. Spotlight winning kept The Revenant, my least favorite movie of that year, from winning. So, like, I'm fine with it. Should have been Mad Max. Should've I was like, Mad, Mad Max or Bridge of Spies. That's what, that's what I was holding out, out for. And they, so, I, I will take a Spotlight win over, over The Revenant, which is... Ugh. Well, Tyler, we did it. We made it to the end of another decade. So I graduated high school. I dropped out of college. Uh, I worked at the theater. I worked I, at the theater. I worked at Custom Inc. I got married. That's the most important one. I bought a house. I moved to two different cities. I'm still in Reno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in all honesty, though, that leads us into one more section. But before we get to that section, we explain it to them. Let's go back and do our 10 to 1. Tyler, go ahead and read us from number 10 to number 1. What were your 10 best movies of the decade? Directed by Terrence Malick, 2015. Night of Cups, number 9. Directed by Richard Linklater, 2013. Before Midnight, number 8. Directed by Steve McQueen, from 2011. Shame, number 7. Directed by Christopher Nolan, from 2014. Interstellar, number 6. Directed by Paul King, from 2017. Paddington 2, Number five from 2012, directed by Joachim Trier, Oslo, August 31st. Number four, directed by Paul Schrader. First performed from 2018. Number three, directed by Jai Jingini from 2019, Ashes Pierce White. Number two, directed by Abbas Karastami, certified copy from 2010. And number one, directed by Kelly Reichard from 2016, Certain Women. And of course, my top 10 from 2017, the film from Guillermo del Toro, The Shape of Water. 2012 at number nine would give us Peter Travis's Dread. From 2011, we would have Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. From 2013, we would have the incomparable Coen brothers in Inside Lewin Davis. 2018 would bring us Steve McQueen's film Widows. At number five, we get Alex Garland's directorial debut with the 2014 film Ex Machina. At number four, we have Boon Jong Hoon's Parasite from 2019. At number three, we have 2016's Martin Scorsese film Silence. At number two, we have the 2010 film by David Fincher, The Social Network. And at number one from 2015, we have Mad Max Fury Road, directed by George Miller. Great decade. One thing I will say is that's a lot of dude names on that, and I feel like we should both try and be a little bit better about female directors. And that's our show, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Before we get out of here, I gave Tyler a little homework assignment to end this show. We are now going to give our best actor, best actress, best director, 
and best film of the decade. However, I gave it a little John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Alfred Hitchcock twist where I am only allowed to pick things based on Tyler's list and vice versa. So Tyler, are you ready? We'll go back and forth. Yes, and which then... one do you want to start with? I think we should start with actor. Okay, so actor, that's the that's the cheesiest category for me. I split it. I couldn't decide between two people. Couldn't decide between Andrew Garfield and uh, Adam Driver. And they're technically both on your list. <laughs> I feel like Andrew Garfield had a really sneakily good decade. And I think Adam Driver had a very unsneakily good decade. And I feel like they're of equal quality in my mind of actors who went from being people I'd never heard of to being like A-list celebrities. So... Anyone uh, else you want to mention as an honorable? Tom Hardy. Yeah. Uh, not necess- the reason he didn't get it is because his only performance is Mad Max, but like, God, I love Tom Hardy. He's good. He's quite good in that movie. He makes Venom watchable. <clears throat> I mean, shit, let's talk about one of his best movies of the decade, The Drop. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a good actor. Hi. Good actor. So, so Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver in a tie for silence. I'm not even sure he's Japanese. You're like, what is that accent? And Adam Driver's like, I don't know. know, Whatever. I'm giving it to Adam Driver as a Lifetime Achievement Award. It's not really for silence, but, you know. Fair enough. You can say Garfield, it's for Social Network, and Driver, it's just for the decade. And just before we hand it out, since you're handing out this statue and it's it's based on the Ben, what what does it look like? Uh, It's a very cross-faded Ben. It's just me going down after <laughs> after the Silence of the Lambs episode. <laughs> we call this the Stagger uh, Award. Um, it's also known as the Ben. But, well, then yours is just you sitting there in your underwear. And just like, <laughs> and just like also with a dialogue balloon coming out that says, I'm actually in my underwear. Or actually it says, please cut this out. That's it, yeah. Hi. You pull so my I, string and it says, uh, please cut this out, or that's a masterpiece. It's also a doll. Yours is also, also a doll, yeah. Also a doll. It's like, yeah. it's the most upsetting award. Only one, per, only eight people have it now, but my God, is it upsetting. <laughs> it, what's the line from The Simpsons? It goes, wasn't that the voice responsible for all those suicides? Murder suicides. But we're going to get to my actor. And the nominees are Michael Fassbender for... Shame and other contributions such as Prometheus, 12 Years a Slave, A Dangerous Method. Christian Bale for Knight of Cups, also for The Big Short, Out of the Furnace and the Fighter. Ethan Hawke for The Purge, Boyhood, The Magnificent Seven, and the aforementioned First Reformed and Before Midnight. And Matthew McConaughey for Bernie Mudd, The Wolf of Wall Street, Beach Bum, and the aforementioned Interstellar. Your winner is Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke made three really really great movies this year in boyhood first reformed and before midnight and but it's boyhood or it's first reformed and before midnight that we talk about they're incredible i just want to say ethan hawk probably of mine too because i think the stuff that he's been doing lately even in movies that aren't like uh, like juliet naked which is like not very that's well a fun, known that's a fun movie it's a fun little movie it's good yeah, it's, he's good it's, in it. it's really adorable he's charming He's really an actor to watch. I think whenever he's in a movie, I'm like, oh, this is going to be weird. This is going to be, this is going to be, he's going to be good. And this movie, probably going to be good. I'll say this Magnificent Seven, not a good movie. He's really good in it. What a weird, what a weird fucking idea. (laughs) We make Magnificent Seven with like Denzel Washington as the lead. That should work on paper. Great idea. I mean, let's talk about this with Ethan Hawke. He's in the movie that kicks off the era of Blumhouse with The Purge. 
Yeah, that's uh, kind of well, Blumhouse's I would first argue that, super yeah. big movie, isn't it? No, 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 no. Uh, Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. But yeah. still, still takes it into the art of, like, almost making a social horror movie. It, kind well, of, went, like... Yeah. But they went from being, like, the people who put out, like, fucking found footage, the people who put out, like, actual movies... So our actors are Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver holding the award together, looking pissed at each other. <laughs> they and... One has the base, one has the award. <laughs> He's like, we switch every week. Don't be late. I want my time with it. And then we have over there Ethan Hawke just being like, oh, I shouldn't get this award, just smoking while he has the award. So shall we move on to actress? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, I don't have, like I said, aforementioned, don't have any nominees, but I do have one that honorable mention that I'd like to mention before, and that is like, uh, Carrie Mulligan. She's just been really good, and I noticed that she popped up on like the first half of our list like a lot, and so I just wanted to shout her out. Shit, she's your number one. Wait, no, sorry, sorry, I'm thinking of someone else. Never I'm mind. Michelle Williams. Going. You're doing the thing that I always do. I am. Oh my god, you're right. Oh my god. <laughs> Constantly confusing Michelle Williams and Carrie Mulligan. But my number one, and it's because it's one of my favorite, all-time favorite performances, is Charlize Theron, Best of the Decade, just for Furiosa. I, she's been in a bunch of other stuff, but, like, that, I mean, Atomic Blonde, too. Uh, not a movie I particularly like, but, Atomic, you know. Oh, my God, Atomic Blonde. What a, what a, what a wild movie. Uh, yeah, Charlize Theron. Good, good decade. You're not wrong about Charlize Theron. She's pretty incredible. I'll say this, Long Shot is a legitimately funny movie. And charming. I've been meaning to watch that since because you brought you brought it up as it like be, I'll be honest. The more I think about it, it might be on my best of the year. Oh damn! All right, <laughs> so I'm gonna I have think, to watch it. I think you're gonna like it. I think it's very cute. I think the filmmaker I can't remember his name is like a new bright spot in like writing comedies. Uh, Jonathan Levine. Oh, I think I know who that is. He did the Wackness. He did Fifty Fifty. Oh, the Wackness. He did the Snatched. Night Before is kind of funny. Night before is all right. Oh, Warm Bodies is charming. Uh, I, I know. Ooh, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. I remember that being That's rough. a good movie. Yeah. Um, best Actress. Yes, my Best Actress. And we start off with the nominees. Carrie Mulligan for such contributions as Drive, The Great Gatsby, Inside Lewin Davis, Wildlife, and Tyler's aforementioned Shame. Laura Dern for Twin Peaks, The Return, The Last Jedi, F is for Family, Marriage Story, and the aforementioned... Tyler's number one, Certain Women. Sally Hawkins for Maiden Dagenham, Blue Jasmine, Paddington, The Shape of Water, and Tyler's aforementioned Paddington 2. And finally, Kirsten Stewart for The Runaways, Still Alice, Cafe Society, and the aforementioned Certain Women. And your winner is Laura Dern. Laura Dern has always been something that you can point to and go solid in everything she's in. I don't think there's a bad Laura Dern performance. I hope Laura Dern gets everything that I've heard is coming to her this year for this performance in Marriage Story. I cannot wait to see if that some 